Welcome everyone to October 14th, 1989 in the Legacy Series. It is Cincinnati, Ohio. It is Saturday night's main event and I'm going to talk to you at the start just a little bit about the ultimate warrior because even when we're not recording, he is somewhere running down an aisle. Running, running, running. The ultimate warrior is on the move. Ladies and gentlemen, 1990 is on the horizon. And I did take the time to listen to something to wrestle with the ultimate warrior episode that happened so long ago. Unfortunately, that was about a week ago and I have not touched my notes on it since. But the answers really seem like what we would have said if we had not listened to the episode. It sounded like a lot of guessing. It sounded like a lot of things that if you put a pie chart up, there's like six or seven reasons we go with the ultimate warrior. Maybe it's because Hulk Hogan's going to make a movie. Maybe it's because uh, Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon are always trying to one up each other and push the other one out of frame. Maybe it's because the ultimate warrior is really popular. Maybe it's because he's popular with kids. Maybe because he's young and it's time to move on and you can't. Uh, trust Hulkamania forever. Maybe Hulk Hogan is getting old or his act is not working. Pretty much any suggestion you can guess seemed to be guessed at on that show as well. So I did not really get the answers that I uh, hoped for my time spent. And when I really come out of that thinking about based on the episode that we're going to talk about today, is if the Ultimate Warrior was ever going to be WWF champion in the era that we're talking about, it seems like they're setting the stage for him now. Directly or indirectly, it just doesn't feel like the storylines are what they used to be. It doesn't feel like the heat is what it used to be. And I don't know how to parse this. Maybe Ms. Fan can help me because there are two ways of looking at it. They just came off one of the greatest storylines of all time. I feel bad for complaining when we just had Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage for a year. And yet Ms. Fan said something so smart during that time, aside from Hulk Hogan, what storylines did Randy Savage get as world champion? They weren't great. They weren't uh, sustained. There wasn't the heat that needed to be there. And I feel like Hulk Hogan is getting the same kind of title reign that Randy Savage got. Just throw guys in there. Just say he's really big. Just say that they don't like each other. The narrative versus narrative. Everyone pushing. Everyone believing. Everyone uh, believable seems to be gone. And the one thing I will give the WWF is if you have Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, and the Ultimate Warrior, and you reduce it to nothing, no story, no heat, no just who looks good running through somebody and being the world champion, well, let the Ultimate Warrior with his body and his youth and his face paint swing a belt over his head. So in some ways, indirectly maybe, I feel like we are creating the perfect path for the Ultimate Warrior to run down. The other thing I will say, because I don't know if there's a bigger heel in the history of professional wrestling from my vantage point as a fan than Vince Russo. If you watch WCW, the Legacy Series, or listen to it, you don't have to guess why. I used to say he should be tried in a court for war crimes against professional wrestling. 
because the damage that that man did to the credibility of wrestling, it just extends for year and year, year, year after year after year. But there might be a second candidate. It might be the kids, the evoking of the kids, because, my God, that was another thing. Uh, Hulk Hogan is more popular with the adults, but the kids love the Ultimate Warrior. Every time they evoke the kids, something bad happens in professional wrestling. In 1989, going into 1990, it seems like every bozo the clown with face paint on is going to become a world champion or a franchise because of the kids. Stop it. Stop evoking the kids. But that was another argument. That Hulk Hogan was more popular with the adults, Ultimate Warrior with the children. And so I'll just hit a couple more things. These might be better for other episodes, but I don't care about the Ultimate Warrior enough to hold on to any notes. So Ultimate Warrior, according to Bruce Pritchard, who is openly biased against the Ultimate Warrior, he would, did not even try to have a fair take. Uh, so I don't know how much of this is reliable, but he said part of the reason that Rick Rude will leave the WWF is because of his programs with the Ultimate Warrior, and apparently the Warrior doesn't listen, and the Warrior hurts you, and the Warrior will not change his style. Uh, Ultimate Warrior runs through Andre the Giant, and according to WWF, at least, you know, uh, he will not change for the Giant, and then one week he's running off the ropes, and Andre just puts his fist out, and the Warrior runs into it and gets knocked silly, and after that he kind of bends a little bit for Andre the Giant. So who knows about these things? But basically, anything I heard... We could have guessed anyway. You got someone who doesn't want to learn, someone who doesn't want to listen, someone who hurts people in the ring. But my God, he's popular with the children. And so I get it. I think what you have ultimately, and I'm sorry for this uh, lengthy intro about something that I myself don't really care about, but it has to be talked about because we're going to deal with this guy for a year and a half, is number one, what I believe is I think they're trying to stick it to Hulk Hogan a little bit because these are just simple words, but you got this. Hulk had other opportunities outside the business. Anytime WWF, uh, Vince and his companions say other opportunities outside the business, they hate you for that. If they own you and you go act for them in the name of WWF, that's cool. But anytime they think you have other opportunities. So I think partly they're trying to move on so that not because it's time to move on from Hogan, but because we're not going to be dependent on anyone who makes a dime outside of us who or who could threaten us or who doesn't do every single thing in service of us. So I think it's partly that. I think it's partly smart because I think Hogan is getting older. I don't think the act's going to work forever, and I do think there's a little bit of a dip. So I think it's smart there. And when are you going to find another baby face? who looks like Vince wants them to look and who's very, very popular. So I think it's also a why not now, if not now, when? Because we could always go back to Hulk Hogan. And I do think, this is just a guess, but whether it's Sting or the Ultimate Warrior, I think there's something different about going from 1989 to 1990. It's a new decade, a new number, the last decade before we hit 2000. So I don't think it's the same. I think Every promotion wants a new shine, a new look to go with that 1990. And I think somehow the world aligned that we got two Bozo the Clown pre-doink uh, face-painted wrestlers. And the, and the companies are like, let's do it. So we got what we got. So I think there's a lot of things in the air, a lot of things going on. Uh, and we're going to get what we get. It's the thing I'm going to be looking for because back to WWF the Legacy Series and push off what I just had to research. I think what I want to see is 
you know, how much does this work? How much of what's going on is Hogan's fault, WWS fault, Ultimate Warrior's fault? Because one thing I will tell you, we got amazing bonus stuff that Miss Fan has picked out. But there were moments in Saturday night's main event where I really felt like this is not the promotion that I've been bragging about. For the first time, I could see straight to the ring and watch the match because the fog of great storytelling and heat and just all these things that make the room feel feel filled with energy were gone at times. So something's lacking and our savior is the ultimate warrior. Somebody say a prayer. Ladies and gentlemen, the hype is back. Grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Miz fan, the brain. Greetings, Miz fan fans. Welcome indeed back to another edition of WWF The Legacy Series. I did not know we were going to talk this much about the Ultimate Warrior, but as my colleague said, this is an important subject to talk about. Now, I don't know about some of these stories that I'm hearing. I find them very suspect. The timing with Rick Rude in particular makes no sense and does not match the much more credible reason I have heard for Rick Rude leaving, which we will talk about in the future. Uh, I have also heard that uh, the feud with Andre went a little bit of a different way, but uh, you have to consider the source as always. But one thing that remains consistent, no matter who you talk to, nobody seemed to like the Ultimate Warrior backstage when all was said and done. Ultimate Warrior did not seem to have any friends, did not seem to have any allies. Much has been made about Hulk Hogan. Oh, he, he screwed the Ultimate Warrior by walking back in the ring. And the more I watch and the more I think, the less I think of that story. And the more I think about the fact that Hulk Hogan probably had no issue handing over the title to a guy who really had no support, who was really just being pushed in the moment for whatever reason. You heard a bunch of possible reasons. Any and all of them could have been true. But behind those reasons... Just like all through WCW, the Legacy Series, we talked, said Ric Flair, he let Sting have that title because he knew he would get it back. I think uh, just the same thing can probably be said about Hulk Hogan right here. That is smart analysis. They even said Hulk Hogan told Vince McMahon, Warrior's not the guy, you know. So <laughs> Hulk Hogan, by all accounts, knew that Warrior could not handle you know, what he was about to have, and that's, I think that's probably probably why Hulk Hogan allowed him to have it, and at WrestleMania 6, no less. <laughs> Indeed. We talked many times in WCW about how Sting seemed uncomfortable as champion. He seemed, uh, I don't know if you might say he was not ready to be champion, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. Was he ever ready? I don't know. I don't want to get into all that again with the Sting squadron, but uh, regardless... Ultimate Warrior clearly had the opposite problem. He seemed to think he was ready from the day he was born and never made any attempt to uh, actually reach that goal. He simply was the Ultimate Warrior and thought that would be sufficient. And I think uh, we will find in time that not only is it not sufficient, but the way that bleeds into his real-life dealings with people is going to make it impossible for him to be on top for a sustained period of time. Yeah, it pissed me off to do that much research and get and know I'm not getting anything legitimate out of it. You know, like they just made it. It's such a gimmick thing. But, you know, because of this, the self-destruction 
of the Ultimate Warrior DVD. Like, the whole thing was a gimmick, like Conrad's pushing him. Like, oh, my goodness, you did this DVD trying to bury him. And Bruce Pritchard with a straight face, I'm guessing, is telling us that, oh, the self-destruction. Jesus Christ, how does he do it? Okay, <clears throat> the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD was not meant to bury uh the Ultimate Warrior is actually meant to lift them up and praise him. But when they did all the recording and they listened to all the people they interviewed, they're like, oh, my God, everybody's talking negative about him. So we have to change the direction of the DVD. <laughs> is that, does anybody in the fucking world believe that? Yeah, I'm guessing not even Conrad believed that. Uh, I don't think Bruce even believes that. So what what do you expect? I mean, is there a least a less popular man in wrestling history? I'm sure there's a couple, but uh, very few, I think, in a position like this. It's so weird, though, because WWF is the most controlling entity just about that I've ever witnessed. So they're telling me, though, by this idea, they make they make every DVD without any plan about what the DVD is about. They just, <laughs> like, scatterbrain, like, interview people with no que- certain questions, and then they're like, when we listen to everything, we'll know what we got. <laughs> It's not how things work, folks. No, I don't think they're making documentaries uh, with the highest of art in mind and letting the spirit move them so they can create the most <laughs> factual uh, thing ever. I mean, we, we, we've seen them try to rewrite history more than once, so yeah, you can't you can't convince me that this, there wasn't an intention there. Um, and at the same time, Self-Destruction of Ultimate Warrior more and more looks like a, an accurate title, so yeah. they may have accidentally told the truth this time. So I just want to jump on the bandwagon with you because you didn't even have to do the research to know what is uh, more true than what I had to listen to. Um, uh, number one, why would Andre the Giant be losing to uh, Ultimate Warrior? If Andre hated Warrior and just like felt like, oh, my God, I can't stand being in the ring with this guy, he wouldn't be like doing 30-second jobs to him. And he wouldn't be wrestling him all over the country. So Andre cannot be – like everybody could not have hated the Ultimate Warrior as much as what I listened to a week ago. God, I don't know. Actually, that Andre has shown himself to be such a team player through all of this that I can actually believe that he would work with a guy that uh, he did not like. And um, I don't know. I've just never heard anybody say that they did like the Ultimate Warrior um, when all is said and done in real life, in backstage life. So I actually have some credibility to that. Um, what I give less credibility to is this idea that Andre, like, beat up Ultimate Warrior. Like, Andre's not beating up anybody. I don't care how big he is in 1989. Um, so, I, I don't know if I give credibility to that, but uh, certainly I give credibility to the fact that Andre didn't like Warrior and uh, that these short squashes were perhaps a way to get out of working with him for more than a few seconds because, yeah, Ultimate Warrior does hurt people. He's a bad wrestler. Um, he's one of the worst, so... So here's an outlier of the narrative of the Ultimate Warrior. There's a claim that was made on the show that they could not find the Warrior after WrestleMania 6, and Pat Patterson claims he found the Ultimate Warrior in a broom closet crying because of the the magnitude of winning the WWF title. I find that so hard to believe. I do too. <laughs> I don't. I, I, there's no there's no context where I can believe that. So even if it's the only part I do believe that. If he was ever going to have a positive emotion, he would do it in private because, like you said, otherwise he just thinks that he ought to be the world champion on his debut in 87, it seems like. 
that's certainly the vibe I get. You know, who knows? But uh, I feel like it's borne out by the fact, uh, by all the facts that you hear from people. The other thing that I got is that guys like Ted DiBiase and Randy Savage uh, were boycotting to Vince McMahon the idea of Boyer becoming champion because they thought he did not care about the business and that he would not hold up like what a world champion ought to be in the company. Well, they they would pretty much be right about that. His his reign will not be that successful. So, yeah, so it's, it's really yeah, amazing. Usually, anybody you can find, like somebody will speak up for them and support them. And I've just never found that person for Ultimate Warrior. He just seems to be universally disliked. I'm sure the fact that he was persona non grata for a long time with WWE doesn't help that. But even so. Somebody will usually step up, but I don't know of anybody for Warrior. Yeah, those are the things I was looking for because, you know, I can see why people would hate him, too, because, you know, he didn't really pay his dues. And aside from Savage, like, you know, to be the world champion and go over Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 6, you could be the greatest person in the world and, and like, 70% of the company was going to hate you, you know, (laughs) for that opportunity. But, like, I don't know who they are. And if you're listening and you know Warrior better, I would be glad to listen to any shoots or anything. If there are guys who just like like Warrior a lot, I'm sure someone somewhere defended Warrior, but I feel icky after having to listen to the stuff. Like I would like, like, I went and did research because I have genuine curiosity because neither of us like the ultimate warrior as a human being. And we don't like him as a ring style, but yet he has got one of the most prominent roles in the history of the company, especially in this era, babyface, babyface going over Hulk Hogan. You know, so I'm just trying to find a few things that can can stick to the wall when it comes to this story. And I felt the wall was just more slippery and deceptive when I was done. And it frustrates me that that's the reality. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who was certainly coded and a lot of... Um I won't say disinformation, but it's just very hard to tell with him because he was super weird and super isolated and uh, he did not speak the truth about himself and other people did not like him and did not, you know, weren't motivated to speak the truth about him if that truth was positive, um, if there was any truth to speak even. So you, you see how much I have to qualify even what I'm saying here. Like, this is just a guy who was legitimately very weird. He was on the fringe. He said a lot of gross stuff. He said a lot of untrue stuff. And um, he was also the subject of, yeah, a company that that very much likes to change history and obscure history if they can, if it benefits them. So, yeah, it's sort of a mystery, but not the kind of mystery you want to solve, the kind of mystery you kind of want to bury in the backyard and not think (laughs) about anymore. That is the greatest line. If I could... (laughs) bury this whole thing in the backyard and be in the middle of 91 right now. I think I would. <laughs> Cause I don't know what to do with it. And it's frustrating. And you know, uh, with the warrior. Okay. So another thing, cause when I was just a dear young mystic and I would write articles about Shawn Michaels, pre all these controversies and narratives, you know, I, I would get some very factual friend of ours somewhere would be like, well, Bret Hart did a lot of money, and Shawn Michaels was a joke. And I'm like, number one, I don't look this stuff up. Number two, I don't give a shit. Number three, <laughs> WWF's not paying me. So I think about the money thing. Like that, that could be another angle for us if we can't really get to the truth of the warrior. But when I listen to Bruce Pritchard, like in the 90s, like say 94, 95, and 96, the rate, uh, the 
the money would be up in one year as, as far as house shows. There'd be more fans at the house shows. The ratings would be way down. So like there'd be these weird con- like contradictions in half these years that they would talk about. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at WrestleMania six, I believe it well outdid WrestleMania five as far as attendance because of the building they're in. Mm-hmm. But I think WrestleMania five had a greater buy rate than WrestleMania six. Mm, interesting. So, you know, what do you do with any of that stuff? So <laughs> it's, it's going to come down to the eye test. And unfortunately, I don't trust the eye test because, you know, what are we going to say for another year and a half? Oh, my God, he was popular and his match sucked and his storyline wasn't impressive. <laughs> well, you are the mystic and you've seen the future. I don't know what else we can possibly say, uh, except maybe for the Warrior Randy Savage feud. But, um, yeah. We'll have to spend on that when we get yeah. to it. But then here's the, the the only other thing, and this ties back to this show because we got a Hogan DiBiase match later. You know, even if the Warrior is not capable, how much can we blame the Ultimate Warrior if it does feel like? And maybe you disagree with this, but it's starting to feel like to me that Savage, Hogan, and now Warrior to come, like none of them are having storylines that are. And narratives that are putting me at the computer being like, oh, my God, I got to see this. Hmm. Uh, there may be something to that. We certainly are not dealing with anything on the level of uh, Hogan Andre, of Hogan um, Savage, you know, Savage, uh, Hogan Orndorff. Um, yeah. Some of these other Savage Steamboats uh, was super hot. Even like Savage. Uh, George Steele had like all this stuff going on with it, and you know maybe it wasn't the greatest yeah. feud, but uh, there were a lot of things going on there. So yeah, I don't know. Now now they're thinking about movies. They're thinking, well, we kind of did our job already. Um, you know, there, there's some good stuff here, and I want to give credit to it, and not just in the match. I think there's some good story stuff as well. But I do agree. I feel like we've seen a downturn in this moment. Um, and I don't know if we'll see it come back to where it was until we get to that point in 91 that you mentioned. And I also want to say, uh, we've said a few times, we're really looking forward to this really great creative period, which is just after SummerSlam 91, and it goes up to WrestleMania 8. And I don't want to say it's a cause, but those are the exact dates that Warrior will be out of the company. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he will leave after one and come back uh, at the end of the other. So I'll let people interpret that for what they will. That is so interesting, Ms. Sand. My God, that's interesting. Because <laughs> you can't do nothing with that. You know, the dates can't be fucking like, exact and you not, you not do something with it. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. All right, so... Yeah, we do. We have a lot of amazing stuff, folks. So just do stay tuned. Uh, we will get into it in a moment. Ms. Van has hit us with a Christmas edition of bonus stuff. We got all kinds of stuff. Uh, Warrior, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm done. I thought when you said something, I had one more line, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, this Hulk Hogan stuff. Oh, it is what I was going to say. Okay. When I was watching peak WWF these last few years, you know, it really felt like. I know I'm an NWA guy, but I'm almost forgetting why. And the moment that WWF starts to dip a little bit, like, I realize a hundred reasons why I'm an NWA guy and a WCW guy. So there's a lot that I like on this show. And right now I'm talking more world title picture, but what WWF does so well 
is dress that thing up. Some of the greatest characters and narratives and storylines of all time to the point that when I was watching Hogan Savage or Hogan Andre, I almost can't see the screen. It really is like this great atmosphere is rising up and filling the screen because it's built on so much good stuff. And the more naked WWF, if WWF stands naked with the NWA, I realize why I like the NWA. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a great way to put it. Um, Yeah. WWF, the style, it works so brilliantly when it is at that top level. There's a reason it became, it took over the world basically, but it's also very easy for this style of thing to go wrong, to become too silly, to become uh, too ridiculous. Whereas something with the NWA, if they're doing kind of what's at the core of what they do, it's really hard, I think, to do it wrong. Like, it's so, I don't want to say basic, but, like, there's something at the core of it that Mm -hmm. is just so authentic and it works. Um, So, yeah, they will really only go off track when they try to imitate uh, the WWF and uh, do a bad job, which uh, they will do many times over their life as they become WCW. But, yeah, no, it's a very interesting difference to look at between them. I'm glad I'm not on Twitter because I just hate it, but (laughs) I do miss some of the folks who I don't get to talk to anymore. And I do want to say, you know, if you didn't catch those ten lines about Bozo the Clown and Doink, I was equating Sting and the Ultimate Warrior's Rise, and that was unjust. And I want to apologize to all the Sting fans out there. You guys deserve better than that. All right, if you're on Twitter and you're listening, was I being sincere when I apologized? We need a poll. Anyway, all right, let's do our show, Liz, man. Uh, for what it's worth, I vote yes, because uh, as much as we criticize Sting, God, I, I appreciated him a lot more than I have Warrior yeah. so far. So Sting is a million times better than the Ultimate Warrior, though I, I don't know that he is any more deserving. Like I would I would have an honest debate about, I think Warrior almost, I would be more comfortable popularity-wise in WWF booking and how they, like, I don't know that Sting was more deserving to carry a company in 89 than Warrior. I think they were probably about in the same place, but I trust WWF to put someone over better than NWA and WCW. Well, you'd be, I want to say you'd be right about that, but I also want to watch it again and decide for myself because appearances can be deceiving and narratives can be deceiving. So we'll, we'll suss it out as we go. Absolutely. All right, we do have a great show. We got a lot of bonus content we're going to talk to you about. And then, of course, we have Saturday Night's main event, October 14, 1989. We're inching so close to the end of the decade here, and uh, we're going to see a little bit of a changing of the times as we go. So, so yeah, let's uh, let's jump right into it. Are you ready, my friend? I'm ready. Okay. All right, so we basically got four kind of angles – storylines or maybe just a collection of promos from certain guys to touch on. Then we got four bonus matches. Then we got the show itself. So uh, it's going to be a packed show. Let's get right into what we've been talking about. The warrior. Anyway, last week you asked to see some warrior Andre stuff, some conversational stuff that would maybe give us some insight into what this feud is about, what language they would use to even address each other um, I provided some segments. I don't know if they will provide any clarity, but we'll talk about them here. First, we have July 
31st, and all dates here are for primetime wrestling. So if you have the network and you want to follow along, that's how you're going to do it. July 31st, before SummerSlam, we see Andre and Heenan on Brother Love. Uh, they, they are Bray. Andre is going to step into the room and strike fear into everyone's heart. Andre says he's going to, he doesn't care about other wrestlers with their gimmicks. He's just going to step over all of them. Brother Love brings out the warrior who, who shakes a lot and he does get a big pop and he says very little. He says he promises to beat Andre and he beats on his chest and that is the segment. So did this provide any insight to you, Mystic? Absolutely, it did. It clarified what maybe did not need clarifying, but we got several segments. And so one thing I learned, Andre the Giant is as good as far as a character as he was in 88, 87, probably 86 and any year. Andre the Giant is still just as charming. He's just as charismatic. And he's always up to interesting things. We'll get into it. Uh, he's got a few more tricks uh before we get done but i love the idea that they just go after all these gimmicks the snake the two by four the, all the baby face gimmicks mm. they just cut right through this stuff i like uh brother love saying brother brain which is just an interesting uh uh greeting um and also i'll just throw this out there this is also andre the giant i think we've talked about this before he stopped talking to bruce pritchard when bruce pritchard became brother love because he was not comfortable with that gimmick and he it took a long time to get him on brother love show so you know, that's also a big moment for Andre. And then uh, this is the one ultimate warrior running to the stage when the stage is right by the entrance. Shows me just how stupid his gimmick is because he's got to do the same thing, even if it doesn't make any sense. I thought he looked small and stupid beside Andre the Giant and almost unbelievable and not in a oh, great unbelievable. But in a, I don't buy this. So. What we're going to see, spoiler alert, Andre the Giant to me is as good as, as good as he's ever been. And Warrior standing next to Andre does not feel like in any way Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. I was just going to compare. Yeah, Hogan standing next to Andre felt like something. And this, I don't know, to me this doesn't feel like very much. Uh, again, we can't deny the popularity of Ultimate Warrior. And I was yeah. going to say, through all of this, through all this conversation... Occam's Razor is basically Ultimate Warrior was very popular. He's probably close to, if not, the second most popular babyface in the company. Uh, Warrior, I mean, Hogan is going to go off. He's going to make more movies. Um, so if you really just need to ask, like, why was it Ultimate Warrior? I think it's as simple as that when it really comes down to it. You know, they weren't thinking about personality conflicts. They weren't thinking about all this stuff. They're just like, well, Hogan's leaving. Who's popular? We don't really like heel champions that much, so there you go. We're going with Ultimate Warrior. Um, so, yeah, very popular, and yet, again, very lacking in substance here. You know, I, I I was ready to, like, actually write down something Ultimate Warrior said here, and he said almost nothing. He's just like, I promise to beat you, and that was it. Like, they even showed, <laughs> at the end of these segments, they show, like, a little replay of something that happened, and they just showed Warrior, like, putting up three fingers or something. He's like, oh, I'll beat you one, two, three. All right, that's your manifesto. Good job, man. Yeah. I promise you I did not have us do additional segments so I can just say the same thing I would have thought, you know, without watching it. But, you know, it takes Ultimate Warrior doing something different for us to say something different, and I don't know if he's ever going to do anything different. I don't. Yeah, we'll have to watch him in the Savage Feud. I know he will do something a little different. With Jake Roberts, 
um, yes. which will ultimately come to nothing, but at least it will be different and it will be very interesting in the little time that it happens. So we'll, we'll watch him in 1991, probably going to be his best year. We're definitely not there yet. I think you hit the nail on the head. The bottom lining this thing is that uh, I think Vince McMahon really made like a, a great decision in a way that if, if, if you don't know what's going to happen, if Hulk Hogan's going to leave every year, like it seems like he's going to do, mm. why would you put a belt on a heel or someone who has to turn heel and reinforce every year that we are solely dependent on a man who can leave us at any time? Mm-hmm. And so you've got someone who looks like how many people are you going to have that's that popular that has the same look or better? So to me, it's just like almost that's the only choice that you can make if you're WWF thinking about WWF. It doesn't matter if he can get over and sustain it. It just matters that you can't keep doing what you're doing because it doesn't work. And who are you going to go to? And here's Ultimate Warrior. Right. You said something. I think about his size or something. I think we shouldn't discount that either because clearly they never quite got around to putting Savage over Hogan. And I think nobody ever will really put him over Hogan. But you look at Warrior, what's the difference? You know, a lot of differences. But one thing, he's got the size. He's got the muscles. We know Vince McMahon likes this stuff. He loves this stuff, actually. So you can't discount that that is a factor. Ultimate Warrior, one of the most just kind of grotesquely muscular people you've ever seen. So that's got to be a factor. Yeah, the one great question Conrad asked that uh, Bruce ducked was how much of it was the fact that Ultimate Warrior looks better than Hulk Hogan. He's ripped and cut. And how much of that just appealed to Vince McMahon? And then we got an answer like, oh, they, I think Vince thought they both had great bodies, but just different kinds of bodies. But I do think there's something to like 1990, younger, face paint, better body. Like It's something that you can sell if you're petty Vince McMahon. If you can't tell stories like Hulk Hogan, if you can't attract fans like Hulk Hogan, you can at least say this, that, and the other. Like, oh, he's more cut than Hulk Hogan. He's more, I guess, like it's more... I don't know. I don't know how you, what it is that Vince Man likes about people looking like that, but it's more of that, you know. So I think there's something to that. I don't think that's nothing. I, I think it's definitely a factor as well. It'll be interesting when we get to Warriors Reign to think about what could have made this work. Could anything have made this work if Ultimate Warrior was less of mm. himself? If the company had presented like better angles like they did in the past, you know, what what's the factor that would have actually made this work the way they I would assume intended to? We're going to have to keep a close eye on that. Yeah, because to be fair to WWF, now that we've been through Rude and Warrior, I don't know if there's anything better they could give him for a better match and a more historical story that has roots than giving him old uh, Rick Rude as an opponent in 1990. Yeah, I mean, it made a lot of sense, and they will, they'll do some work to, like, build that up. But uh, but at least from my memory, it's only work on Rude's side, and that's a problem with a lot of these Warrior feuds so far, is that even if the other guy is trying, Warrior, like you said, he can't do anything different than what he always does. He'll just yeah. run down the aisle, he'll bellow some nonsense and, you know, and have a bad match. So what, what can you do? Well, He's a straight line going through and through and through. All we've talked about in every pleasant surprise that we've had in this era is how much more diverse, robust, horizontal it is, you know, than just a straightforward caricature of things. And 
I think Warrior's going to bring us home to some of the worst stereotypes of this era. <laughs> it's funny. We introduced the space element, in part, I think, looking forward to the Ultimate mm. Warrior. But now I almost want to ask, is there, like, is there an opposite to the space elements? Um because, yeah, like, to me, the space element is, like, kind of mysterious and otherworldly, and Warrior is anything but. There's no mystery about this guy, except, like, what the hell is he talking about? Um, yeah. All his actions are, are completely predictable. You said it's, like, a, a straight line. It's only in one dimension. Um, I don't know. So if there's an opposite to space, then I think Ultimate Warrior might actually be that. Well, I think it's called a fraud, is what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, the seriously. The fraud element. I love it. <laughs> If Ultimate Warrior actually cared enough about human beings to make them think that he did, he would have been likely someone who would have had a compound somewhere with some people who would have ended up dying somewhere. You know, (laughs) he's all cult leader is what he is. You know, he's got a philosophy like he's not a gimmick. Like his gimmick, his gimmick in WWF is less than what his gimmick of himself is. (laughs) You know, so you got a fraud to me. You got face paint and music instead of what Randy Savage or Hulk Hogan gives you with that atmospheric uh, touch. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, the, it is interesting with Warrior is that unlike most baby faces of this era, he will never even try to claim his fans that I have uh, noticed. Like, this guy just kind of exists as himself, as his own self-sustaining force. Uh, if anyone talks about, like, the little Warriors... It's somebody else doing it for him. He, he will never, to my, nah, to my knowledge so far, he has never tried to claim his fans at all. Yeah, I feel like in my mind from being a fan, I, I remember saying stuff, him saying a lot of times stuff like the spirit of the warriors and things like that. We'll see if that comes to be. Okay. But it really is like warrior and the shaking of his hands, like whatever power. And this is kind of who the warrior is as a human being. So, again... I hate to say this as an introvert, but like I think one of the things that made Hulk Hogan is he is so extroverted, sure. you know, and he is really when he's doing his pose down, it does, it's of no interest to me. But he is making those fans feel like he's seeing every one of them. And to me, Ultimate Warrior is completely enclosed with Ultimate Warrior and there is nothing outside. He never sees beyond his own self. Mm. No, I definitely get that vibe as well. So. Uh, so, yeah, we'll keep a close eye on him. Um, I have two other short, shorter promos, I would say, one on September 25, one on October 9. This is what the Mystic was referring to. Uh, old Andre does have a trick up his sleeve. He has uh, painted his own face in warrior style. They call him the ultimate giant. They say that uh, warrior can't really match his size or strength. They say Andre is still undefeated, never been beaten. They're going to beat up the ultimate warrior, so he doesn't even look like himself anymore so that's uh that's how the feud continues here yeah i would have overridden that because andre giant is just too good looking and too charismatic to uh <laughs> mimic the ultimate warrior once once i saw andre in face paint i couldn't even like the ultimate warrior for the face paint aspect anymore <laughs> <laughs> oh my i uh, i think i know what you mean by that we also get a warrior res- response on the October 9 episode. Do we? What's that? Do we? I don't even remember. I'm sure we do, but like, what did he say? He, uh, well, he holds the title up in front of his face. Oh, which God, is yeah. weird. Like, you can't see his face through the whole thing, so it looks like the title is just yelling at you. 
Um, he calls Andre a cheap painting and says he will become the eighth wonder of the world, which you might recognize as something we like to call a bullshit. Yes. And here's the thing I, I like. Number one, he looked ridiculous with the belt on his face. That looked stupid. I don't know whose idea that was. And then number two, it felt like an exchange because Andre the Giant is the eighth wonder of the world. So he's like, you're going to become a cheap, painted, broken down uh, something or another, and I'm going to become the eighth wonder of the world. So it sounded like he's like, I'm going to exchange my cheap, broken down gimmick um, for your eighth wonder of the world. That is <laughs> Oh gosh, I will say this. I I don't I don't know if I believe the the thing about Savage and DiBiase wanted to boycott because clearly they didn't, and both of them will work with Warrior at times. And Savage, you know, will even have a lot of success with him. Yeah. But I give some credibility to the idea that they were not happy because I think it must be tough to see these wrestlers and they've worked so many years. Um, like you said, they paid their dues, but more than that, like they just they they know how to work. Um, they, they're, they're good at their jobs. And then you get a guy who comes in and he can't even have his matches without hurting people. And like to get him to even like an okay match, you got to hold him by the hand and like lead him along. And then he's like, this is the guy who's going to like replace Hulk Hogan. And this is the guy who's going to get like the biggest piece of the pie, man, that's gotta be hard. Um, so I, anyone who's had, a job where someone else comes in and they are much worse at that job. And yet still they get, uh, you know, recognized and promoted for whatever reason. Then I'm sure you understand some aspect of that pain. Uh, that must've been difficult to accept. Absolutely. And I think I used the wrong word. I only boycott the right word. I think what he was, I was trying to say is that they both, according to Bruce Pritchard, I think went to either, I think Vince McMahon, if I remember right, but they made it clear this is a bad choice, not the way to go with the company, and Ultimate Warrior is not the guy. Mm. Well, in that case, they were only wise. They only saw what uh, I think anybody, I would think anybody on the inside would have been able to see. So, I don't know. I can't discount the fact, like, we'll get to WrestleMania 6, and as many people will be cheering for Warrior as for Hogan, and you really can't discount yep. the, the weight of that. But even so, just like, any look behind the scenes makes us feel like, yeah, this is not the guy. So I don't know. If we do go to a WrestleMania six and it feels like it's adults versus children in the response, are children in the top 10 biggest heels in, in professional wrestling history? <laughs> they may well be, but I would like to call bullshit on that narrative anyway, yes. because I don't think that will be true. I think it is child against child and the adults, yeah. um, you know, for that match, I feel like the adults are just there to watch over their children. You know, they came for something else, maybe. So That's a good point. Um, one other thing. It's funny to me that people that just outright hate Lex Luger, if they ever get past, you know, like Lex Luger sucks and why would he ever be a world champion? Especially in the 80s, the next best thing is this is a guy that doesn't care about wrestling. He's not a good wrestler. He was given the four horsemen. He was given the program with flair you know and so like his popularity doesn't count his look doesn't count because he's just a guy that doesn't deserve what he got and so he should never be world champion because like he didn't deserve it you know it was all like kind of fake but yet ultimate warrior should go over hulk hogan at wrestlemania 6 when he came up in at least the same conditions as lex luger mm, yeah i mean certainly you and i would take lex luger a thousand times a million yeah. times before the ultimate warrior um so because he could actually 
work matches and not injure everyone and, um, you know, wasn't a complete psychopath. So, you know, that, that all helped, I think. Um, all right. <laughs> but he didn't run it? to the ring and he didn't paint his face. So, you know, whatever. And Luger is wrestling. Whether you like him or not, he's wrestling Ric Flair for 30 minutes to an hour, you know, like you can be the worst wrestler in the world, but that's not easy to do. Like, I don't know if Ultimate Warrior in like say 87 or 88 could be wrestling like 30 minute to hour matches with Ric Flair every night. I just don't know if that would happen. I think Ultimate Warrior in his best day could have an hour long match with Ric Flair and not just keel over. So, you know. <laughs> All right. You know, I think this is enough of Ultimate Warrior. We're going to yeah. put him back in his box where Jake Roberts <laughs> will bury him eventually. Um,. And uh, we'll, we'll speak on it more in the future, but for now, let's move on to better things. Um, one guy who uh, is not yet getting a big story that I want to see, but who is uh, at least kind of uh, getting some attention, getting a new gimmick, getting a new look, is Randy Savage, who uh, on this episode will become the Macho King, something that we've been uh, waiting for, thinking about for a long time. Um we see first on uh, September 25, Primetime Wrestling, we see a clip of uh, Randy Savage versus Jim Duggan on television. We we join as Duggan is manhandling Sherry because, of course, what else would he do? And Vince McMahon immediately, instantly, like before the clip has even started almost, informs us, oh, this is very justifiable. So that that's where we're at here as we start. Yeah, that is the first line. And you know that the baby faces are out of line when you start with Vince McMahon defending on that level. <laughs> um, he thinks he doth protest too much, comes to mind. You know yes. it's not really good, Vince, but you're, you're just saying. So uh, Duggan gets clobbered with the purse behind the referee's back, that deadly weighted purse that Vince McMahon will question and curse many times over the next couple years. Savage wins the crown. Ventura says, this is a king that I'll actually respect. And Savage uh, goes to town on Duggan, beats him up some more. Ventura says, it couldn't happen to a nicer person. Vince McMahon disagrees. He says, this is not justified. So now we know where the rules are and where the line is. Yeah, this is one of the most beautiful things I've seen in the history of the Legacy Series. We get three elbows after the match and two top rope splashes from Sherry. And which makes me wonder again why Jimmy Snook is in the company if Sherry's doing splashes off the top rope, but you know. And then there's a woman, there is a woman in the crowd crying when that sure. when they stretch her hacks all out. Sure, some some big Jim Duggan fan or something. Let's you know. Dear God. <laughs> find find somebody who cares as much as that lady cares about Jim Duggan. I guess mm. you know. Props to that. Uh, I thought the stretcher job was maybe a little much just for I some elbows. Apparently not, though. Yeah, but no, I guess it worked for some fans, so there you go. I thought it was stupid as well. I just liked, you know, this is a man who beats up people after the match every time he's out there, and he got what was coming to him. Absolutely so. I agree. I'm on I'm on Jesse Ventura's side, as usual, here. So. Yeah. Uh, we go a week later, October 2nd. We get to see the final coronation in the WWF. Uh, we watched the other ones. We watched um, Harley Race. We watched Haku. Didn't watch Duggan. Go figure. Couldn't pay me. But uh, <laughs> we we have um, we have Savage, and now he's finally wearing the, the bodysuit. He has the different gear now, and I thought that was interesting. I didn't know that was the catalyst 
So maybe I'll have to eat my words that the, the bodysuit kind of slowed him down because he seems very much on point here. Oh, yeah, Savage. I have a lot. Savage, when we get to Saturday Night's main event, to me, he is back in the zone that I like him in. Mm-hmm. So I will get to that. But I just I love King and Queen Sherry. You know, oh, yeah. The respect that they show each other. Like I've hardly seen relationships in my life where people show each other as much respect as these two hills do. <laughs> Savage, you know, <laughs> uh, Ryan Evans on Twitter, who likes to interact a lot, and uh, it's always nice to hear from him. Um, he asked me after listening to one of the recent episodes, he, he was like, you don't like Miss Elizabeth, do you? And I'm like, it's not that, because I actually do, because just something about her works, like just some intangible quality really works. So I could never say I don't like Miss Elizabeth. I'm actually a fan of her and what she brings to the table. But man, to see Savage with a partner who actually has some agency, who can actually do some things, who can interact with him in an active way and not a passive way, it is nice to see. I appreciate it. I love the chemistry between Savage and Sherry. I love the looks that they pull off that nobody else could pull off. Um, so I'm a big fan of this Savage Sherry pairing. I think uh, it's it's a career peak for both of them. Yeah, I get it. Shout out to Ryan because I understand I am someone who's over the top all the time and Miss Van <laughs> has to live with it. But I also had the opinion at times that when we're listening to Elizabeth and Sherry from the point of Miss Van, we might not be getting the most objective uh, <laughs> call in the world, but. I think it's grown over time because I've seen some things like you have come around, like you said, to give Liz like she's iconic in the business and you have to give her that respect. But also like you're right about Sherry. You know, there's there's no way around it that even as heels and even as someone who's going to be like a regret, you know, in Savage's low time, I am shocked out of my mind. I've never I've never seen Randy Savage and Elizabeth folks in sync the way that I see Savage and Cherry. Mm. I'm sorry. Mm. No, you're right. Savage and Elizabeth, there's something uh, a little uncomfortable between them a lot of the time. Yeah. And, you know, Savage often doesn't treat her well, and, you know, there's whole storylines about that. And, you know, when they were faces, that was one thing, but they weren't even faces together that long. So, you know, um, all things considered, there's maybe trouble in that relationship uh, beyond even what we know. But Savage and Cherry... Man, I, I feel like they never had a problem between them in their whole lives. Like, if they were mad, they just, like, punched each other in the face. <laughs> and then, you know, they went on with their lives. Like, they were still close partners. So, it, it's a different dynamic. It's one that I almost think is more comfortable for Savage. And uh, I really love the pairing. It works, too. Because I feel like if you're someone like Savage, I can see why you would be with someone like Liz. And I can also see why that would be so unhealthy. Because... You're a dominant person and you dominate everywhere and then you dominate that and it becomes unhealthy. And so it's almost counterintuitive that the thing that you need is someone that is as boss and as dominant as you are. Indeed. I want to look closely at Savage and Liz in uh, 91 and 92 because that's kind of uh, when they were together at their most like peaceful on screen, like they were the most in sync. So we'll look at that. We'll see what it looks like. It should be very interesting. Yeah, I think that will be fascinating because I, I think Savage might cool down a little bit at Sunday at times. Sure. But I also think here, here's why Savage and Sherry matter so much, because 
Savage is being restored after he almost lost himself and every opportunity. So Sherry is doing something for Savage. And Sherry, we'll get into the match with Savage. Sherry to me is 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 almost in frame and pushing. Like Bobby Heenan better keep winning championships because <laughs> the kind of manager that Savage is lifting Sherry to and Sherry is becoming, like I feel like they are putting each other at their very best. And it's and it's a relational thing that's happening. They're definitely motivating each other, fueling each other. We could say in the end whether that will be healthy or not for the character of Randy Savage, but uh, it's certainly effective in this moment. They've done everything I've asked them to do right now, at least for this week. They're not with Hulk Hogan. Uh, Savage is now king and Sherry's queen. Like if, if you were just doing objective measures on their life, you would be like, oh, my God, you guys are doing well. Continue on. <laughs> Indeed, I'm very excited for the first real storyline we'll get from the Macho King, because being away from Hogan will be very healthy, as we've talked about, and uh, I think whatever's next is going to be very exciting, so I'm looking forward to it. My only other thing is that the genius is the first heel, I think, in this era that is as annoying to me as, like, those baby faces that I can't stand. (laughs) Really? You don't don't like uh, the genius who stick here? You just think it's annoying? I don't know if it's the gimmick or the person. There's something that just, or it might be that Randy Savage does not need uh, the genius to tell his story for him. I don't know what it is, but not feel like the genius as much as maybe some. Well, they they won't be joined at the hip. You'll be glad to know. But uh, I kind of enjoy the genius. I don't know something about. Um, to me, he perhaps he is annoying, but not in like a brother love way. Not in a way where like I don't want to see this. Like his his version of annoying works for me because it's not so annoying that i'm not you know i'm just i'm I'm into it and so far as like someone will punch him in the face and you know all will kind of be right in the world so i don't know works for me i can see where you're coming from yeah you know it's not anything that i care enough one way or the other so far to to even like have a strong stance on but he is starting to appear though he's two weeks in a row i think for the genius so we'll see uh, how much we get of him as we go forward. Uh, it will be more before it will be less. So uh, if he doesn't grow on you, it could be a slightly rough time, but but we'll be all right. We'll survive. We'll be all right. Sure. Um, so we do get the genius Lanny Poffo in there to read a proclamation for Savage, which I, I think it's a nice touch because we know they are brothers. They don't have a lot to do on screen together, but here they have a little connection. Uh, we've also got DiBiase, Big Boss Man, a whole, whole load of heels in the ring, which I always love to see. Uh, Savage puts on a friggin' beautiful robe that looked amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, DiBiase gives him a scepter, which looks spectacular as well. Savage and Cherry ride out on a throne for two, and uh, it just looks awesome, and Vince McMahon is over here just spewing, oh, I can't wait till Duggan is king again. Well, keep waiting into 2020, because it's never, ever going to happen. we got the Macho King, and he's here to stay. Ted DiBiase giving a gift to Randy Savage is one of the most beautiful things I've seen in a long time. Yeah, and this is a return to what we like best about the eras that we call, is that these heels are not out here being like, oh, we're heels and we're awful people. Like, this man, that is a thoughtful thing to do to give a scepter to Randy Savage and tell him that it's a gift that every no king should be without. But it's also so historic because on this day, 
The Ultimate Warrior is the IC champion. Hogan's the world champion. WrestleMania 6 has not happened. Sergeant Slaughter has not happened. But on this day, we have marked the way the Ultimate Warrior will lose the heavyweight championship. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. So that was a great gift, after all, and one that I am very grateful for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well said. Well said. All right, so that's Savage and Sherry. They'll be back at Saturday Night's Main Event to do something. And yeah, like I said, hopefully they get uh, some some storyline to sink their teeth into soon, because I think they are chomping at the bit for it. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, let's move on to let's move on to what is probably the closest thing we have right now to one of those stories that we were talking about. Something that does have some more layers, something that pops up in more than one place, something that kind of starts to go beyond. Well, I just don't like you, so let's have a match. This is a little deeper. It's a little hotter than that. We have Roddy Piper and Rick Rude, and their conflict is uh, really simmering. We already saw at SummerSlam, but what we didn't see just before that was a particularly memorable to me segment on Primetime Wrestling. Uh, Primetime has changed a little bit since we passed saw, since we last saw it because of the conflict between Monsoon and Heenan. They have split off into different studios for a little while. Heenan was just really just doing his own thing. Now they kind of have a, like a dual conversation uh, where they're in different studios. They're still having conversations. Roddy Piper has joined Gorilla Monsoon, and this week Rick Rude has joined Heenan in his studio, and uh, they they are not getting along at here at all here. They are they are trading insults back and forth with uh, with a lot of heat, I would say. Oh man, I don't know how they script this stuff. Usually it seems like it's bullet points in this era, but they are both phenomenal. That is real time back and forth. The moment. Something comes out of the mouth of one, the other one counters. And I also love, they don't make Rick Rude an idiot for Roddy Piper. Like, these are both, like, strong-willed, proud men. And if if Roddy Piper has a comeback, Rick Rude has a comeback. And it really is building what Miz fans said if you watch these. Like, there's real heat. There's a real storyline. I could not even like them, which I do like them right now. But I could not like them and be interested in their matches versus there are some folks that I actually like a little bit. I'm not interested in what they're doing. So this is great storytelling, very organic. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of story that we're asking for. I feel like it's not too much to ask to have a few of these going on right now. I think right now we kind of really only have the one. Um, But it's coming off beautifully, i got to say. As much as uh, I'm a little shaky on Rick Rude, as much as Piper can be hit or miss, for me, this is a big hit. For both yes. of them, uh, this promo, this whole feud, I think uh, we'll be well served to dig up some of the matches if we can. I don't know if they're uh, on on our regular schedule or not, but that's what bonus matches are for. So we will keep an eye out for these. Um, eventually it escalates, and like you said, both guys, uh, neither is the fool, certainly. like They are very budge, both um, really raring to go against each other here, and they, they are ready with their words. They are ready to get physical as well. They start to look for each other uh, in in the, the different studios. They kind of trade places for a minute while Monsoon and Heenan both blame each other for the, the situation escalating, which is a nice little moment. I love here that Heenan, like, he genuinely doesn't want this to happen. He's like, Rick Rude has to defend the Intercontinental title. I can't have him fighting somebody in the hall. So he goes off. He's trying to stop it. 
um, it, it all culminates when they both end up in the main studio. They're ready to, to throw down right here. Heenan is begging Rick Rude to relax. Rick Rude throws a cup of something on Roddy Piper. These guys have to be literally pulled apart by all the, the staff at Primetime Wrestling. This is very heated, very memorable. Like I said before, Primetime rarely saw these kind of like physical segments. And when they when they happen, there's a lot of impact, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, and there's so much good about what you just said. Like, number one, when we talk about raised ramps and big blue cages – and, we, and the sets in WCW, the, the set is a star because you got Studio A, Studio B. you got the mix-up where they go to look for each other. They end up in the other studio and back to arguing. you got the hangover and spillover of uh, Grill Monsoon versus Bobby Heenan and all that heat. So it's just so much. you got credible storylines because I believe Rick Root is mouthing off a little bit braver and bigger because he really believes Roddy Piper is going Hollywood. He's a, he's an announcer. Like he's not what he used to be. And Roddy Piper, I think is feeling that a little bit too and trying to prove otherwise. And then you just have a great, great comment because Rick Rude says that he doesn't want to see Piper's face at SummerSlam. And we know he's not <laughs> going to see Piper's face at SummerSlam. I see something, some other part of Piper. That's a great point. I love that. I love that connection. So, so yeah, this is great. Like I said, this is on the August 21st episode of Primetime Wrestling. Uh, it's really worth watching the whole thing because they kind of, if you like the bit of heat that we saw here, like they kind of go through the whole show uh, having this conflict, and uh, it's extremely well done. So I got to give a lot of credit to both of these guys. Um, we also have on uh, September 4th, a clip of after SummerSlam, we see Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude giving an interview, and I think must have been pretty close to the match because they are very emotional. Uh, I think Rick Rude is still sweaty. Uh, Rick Rude said Warrior was beaten at SummerSlam, but then Piper showed up, and that's the only reason Ultimate Warrior got the victory. Heenan says it was a plan, a plot to stick it to them. Heenan is actually crying over this, and I think it's an amazing touch to have that. Because we know how much having a title meant to Bobby Heenan. He's still got tag team champions. But still, this is the title that broke his uh, bad luck streak. And now it's gone. And, and at least from his perspective, it's through no fault of theirs. It's through the, the unjustified interference of Roddy Piper. So a lot of emotion going into this one. Yeah, I said it before. I like Rick Rude in the ring, in the promo, when he gets outside of being Rick Rude. And this is another one. <laughs> where his anger lets him. You got, wait a minute, Bobby, where he just interrupts Bobby Heenan, who they usually let talk forever, but, you know, he's just fed up, and he's just outside his box, and I like him better outside his box. Absolutely so. So some very good stuff from this feud. We'll see a lot more of this going forward. But, uh, but yeah, we got Roddy Piper versus Haku, so we get the nice little touch of uh, a lot of these Heenan family feuds where you don't just feud with one guy, you kind of end up feuding with a lot of guys, and uh, it allows a lot more variety in the matches, it allows better storytelling, and it gives us really interesting stuff to look at. So I'm looking forward to talking a bit about that one. I am too. They do that really well, and we'll talk about that in Saturday Night's Main Event. Absolutely. All right, our last little kind of feud character-centered moment. Uh, we picked up some Brain Buster promos just because we're not going to have them that much longer. And, uh, you know, why wouldn't you listen to Brain Buster promos? 
got the first one on August 7. Uh, the Brother Love Show. Heenan and the Brain Busters are on. They brag about winning the tag team belts, which they had just done recently. They said they did it fair and square. Tully Blanchard says, Demolition, I, you thought you were the biggest and the baddest, but we came, we saw, we conquered. Arn Anderson runs down the list of guys they defeated, and now they finished off Demolition. Um, and uh, Heenan declares that once again, they will just go on to defeat all their opponents fair and square. So this is a nice gloating promo. Everyone gets a nice chance to talk, and I am reminded again at just how freaking great all three of these guys are at talking and in general. Yeah, I said it, I think, in www.lopforms.com, but I don't think, like, Arn Anderson is not even pretending like he's in a different company. Like, when it's time for him to talk, he is bringing every element of the NWA. Like, he's yelling, he's serious. Five minutes of man would have to be super embarrassed, but he's probably not watching these segments anyway. <laughs> That's a great point. You know, I'll, I'll give credit again, whether it was intentional or, as you say, just accidental. Uh, they really let these guys kind of be themselves. The only thing they're lacking, I think, is more mic time because often it is just Heenan who kind of gets to dominate the conversation. But, man, when they get to talk, yeah, they are who they are. They do a great job. Um, you know, from what we've seen, they could have easily come in and been like the clown and the jester or something mm-hmm. and had, like, ridiculous gimmicks. But, no, they got to be themselves. I'll be forever grateful for that. I am curious about a world where Arn Anderson works longer in WWF, but he's never like for for whatever reason we don't like betray him and turn him into something he shouldn't be. Like there's something very interesting about this Arn Anderson. You know, he is he is uh, moved away from some of the very things or even the very person who gives him so much of his significance in Ric Flair, and you know we talked about it. Like so much of his story is there, and that's great, but it just feels like there's a little bit of what could Arn Anderson have been mm. if he had just been Arn Anderson. Yeah, I mean that's always the question. Uh, probably in reality, he wouldn't have been treated too well if he had hung no. around. Um, you know, I think he would have been doing a lot of jobs. But in a yeah. perfect world, <laughs> where he and Heenan were together, maybe he entered the Intercontinental Title scene. Um, had matches with God knows, you know, Tito Santana, Big Boss Man, Jake Roberts, all these guys. Like, God knows he could have had great feuds with them. So, certainly in theory, could have happened. I don't think it would have, but I do like to think about it. I like your point there. And Barry Windham is briefly in the company. So, there are moments where I don't know who's in the NWA right now. (laughs) (laughs) Sting, of course. Of course. (laughs) Sting and Sting are probably... Yeah, raring to go for some great promo to promo action. Oh man, your butter, your you know what. <laughs> All right, so last promo here on September 25, we have Okerlund, and he's going to interview Heenan and the Brainbusters on the platform out in the crowd. And I would mm-hmm. like to nominate the platform to uh, join the raised ramp and the big blue cage as yeah. some uh, some special little piece of set that you don't get anywhere else and has a little bit of character and personality all its own. An amazing thing, Bruce Pritchard, who, you know, thinks the greatest thing that ever existed was everything WWF and Vincent Man has done, <laughs> hates the big blue cage because it's not realistic. Real? What? Like, it's yeah. not a real cage? What? What are you talking about? I don't know. It's just not what he grew up on. But, you know, if you wanted to make a list of those things, like everything that he's ever, like, repped, would almost be on that list. So it was just shocked me. I think he said the big blue cage was created so that Bruno and the Iron Sheik would be able to climb. And he also said that 
the cage is supposed to be a blow off. So like baby faces should not want to escape the cage because the whole point of the cage is that, you know, I've got you now and it's time to settle the feud. And so it, it doesn't allow like the cage to be what the cage is supposed to be. Well, his beef then is not with Big Blue. It is with, um, you know, the way the WWF booked cage matches. So. <laughs> I love that you not with Big Blue. That's that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, leave Big Blue out of it, for God's sake. So, yeah, I, don't know. I, I give as much credibility to that as I do anything Bruce Pritchard says. And uh, I think it's probably more that Vince McMahon decided at some point he didn't like Big Blue anymore. And that's that's what we're hearing. So. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we get uh, we get the platform out in the crowd, which I am always a fan of. I love it. Yep. Yeah. Okerlund uh, declares that the Brainbusters are ducking a rematch with Demolition. We see a clip of Demolition uh, harass the Brainbusters after a match, and the Brainbusters retreated. Tully Blanchard says, "You don't become champions by being dumb. We already wrestled a match. We weren't going to wrestle another one. That's just silly." Arn Anderson demands some silence and says, "They came in." with top credentials, and they still had to fight tooth and nail to get a shot. They said they're the champions. They're going to dictate policy. So Demolition needs to do the same. They need to get in line and fight their way to the top and not just show up after a match and try to get a title shot. So I think eh, that's, that's a pretty justified comment, all things considered. That's a great point. He said it took us nine months to get a shot, and now that we're the champions, all we hear is what Demolition wants. Uh, that's great. Oakland says that Heenan is trying to weasel out of a rematch. Heenan objects strongly to this language, as you might expect. He says they will fight demolition if they go to the end of the line and work their way up. Absolutely. And Grill Monsoon says that weasel out is good. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't have to listen to a lot of this uh, Monsoon Shivani commentary, and I think I'm glad because what would they do except just agree with each other all day long? And, um, man, just like, oh, there, there are times when, uh, a heel may get shoehorned into the booth and I, you know, I'm not necessarily a fan of that, but also just two baby faces in this era where the baby face opinion is so over the top. I really can't imagine what that must sound like. Yeah. And it's getting back to what we said, which is, you know, it was almost like there were no heels and faces, but just people who had opposing narratives and were so good at at doubling, tripling down, defending those narratives. So the, the babyface booth is another way that we are betraying the very thing that kind of took us to the dance in this era. Indeed, indeed. So that's that's unnecessary. Get rid of it. Bring Bobby Heenan back to commentary. He'll come back in time to that booth. And Shivani will go back where he belongs, sort of hating life, low-key, in WCW. So I will say, too, like I, the first time I saw Jesse Ventura... On Saturday nights, when you go back and interview the Hills and like Bobby Heenan, I was like, oh my God, Jesse and Bobby on the same screen. But there's a lot of times I don't even enjoy that because I don't necessarily want two Hills together. You know, every time it's just one side, it is less than what this era can be. Mm. Yep, it's better when it's adversarial, and that that goes for heel heel as well. I'm glad you made that point. Uh, Although I'll say, given the choice, I'll take heel heel over face face. Sure, of course. Of course, of course, this man. Of course. <laughs> oh, my. All right, we got four bonus matches to talk about as well. These are also all on primetime. Uh, the first one from August 7, we have Rick Martell taking on Coco Beware with Tony Schiavone and Alfred Hayes on the call. And uh, as you might expect, I really enjoyed this match. 
Um, Martel has adopted kind of uh, is his way of moving and his way of showing fire into more of uh, something that will get heat, more of a kind of prancing around instead of uh, revving up the crowd in the babyface way. Uh, some great bumping and stooging in here. I, I think this match really demonstrated how good Martel still is, even though he was better as a face. One of the uh, biggest changes I have made, I was not a big Rick Martel fan coming into this because all I remember him from is being the model. I'm not even saying the model is bad, but when you're a kid, more than likely that's not going to be what you zero in on uh, if you start watching wrestling in the 90s. But uh, Strike Force was so impressive and so before their time. And to me, they got the quickness of some of these stars to come, but they're also bigger and they can do other things. And now, as a heel, uh, Rick Martel, I like that he's bringing the same energy as just being directed in a different direction. Yeah, yeah, Rick Martel, a guy that I'm really always happy to push out there and to kind of turn people around on because his reputation is not strong and uh, it's really not justified. I feel like it's mainly a narrative thing. Like you, a lot of people just kind of saw him later on as the model. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to closely look at that, and I think I'll have some arguments to make about the great work he did then as well. But, yeah, I think that's really only a small piece of the picture that really is Rick Martel and all the great things that he can do. I take for granted at this point that he's going to do great work as the model. You know, <laughs> I can't see how he wouldn't. Right. How could he not? Absolutely. I'm not going to make fun of Sting because I didn't realize I was going to do it in the beginning of the show, but I do have a note where Alfred Hayes says uh, that leaping ability that is so important in pro wrestling. And I just noted that, you know, some companies will make you a franchise just off of that. So that's a very important note from Lord Lord Alfred Hayes. Yeah. Where's Coco Beware's main event run? Yeah. He was as good a leaper as Sting, if not better. So take that. I think he's been building his upper body strength and that might have been his uh, mistake. Uh, but Sting did that, too, because he had to try to imitate all of Luger's spots with Flair. So, you know, there's, there's something going on there. Yeah, watch, watch both men do the military press and tell me how well Sting's <laughs> endeavors worked out. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, yeah, uh, you get a lot of good Coco stuff as well. Um, I love Martel. One thing I love is guys who, like, kind of uh, feed the other guy. Yeah. Um, you know, they set up great spots for the other guy to look good. And at one point, Martel, like, goes up top. And uh, he gets caught and he falls, you know, kind of like people do. But then Coco is like hitting him and he's just wobbling around. He looks like one of those clowns, you know, like the balloon clowns that you can knock down mm. and they always kind of come back yes. up. And like the human version of that. And it just looks great. So big credit there for both. Yeah, these two have so much charisma and energy and character. So it's one of those matches where if you, if you like wrestling – more for the wrestling, you can enjoy it. And if you like it more for the characters and energy, you can enjoy it. So they, they kind of give you everything you could want. Absolutely so. Uh, we get Coco with his great missile dropkick, which is one mm. of the best in the business. Uh, looks like he might actually pin Martel, but he does a very stupid baby face thing. He pulls out of the pin just because Slick gets up on the apron. Not the last time we will see that happen on this show. So uh, that's not particularly a spot that I appreciate. Martel comes back. He does get the win with a diving knee drop. So really good match. August 7th. Definitely one to check out if you want to dig deep into this era. The one thing I did like about the slick on the apron spot was the fact that 
Like, he could have still got the pin and he got off of him. And it's almost like that is the difference between someone who's going to be a top star and someone who is on that unfortunate path of guys that we talk about sometimes where that never works out for them. You know, you just stay on the guy and pin them. But I get the, the I get the energy to get off and like handle slick. But, you know, it's little things like that. You know, that's all that is a Lex Luger move that he performed. And yeah, you're just not going to get anywhere. I can tell you I'm the expert on this. You're not going to get anywhere if you're making mistakes on top of what the heels are going to do as well. That's a great point. I like it a lot. My only counter to that is uh, where are the people who just stay on the pinfall when that happens? Like, yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen that happen. So you kind well, of most of them have objects. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry about that. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say most of them have um, objects at ringside that they'd rather use than win the match anyway. And that, again, like in this era, they live off of that. So I think if Coco could take his burden and just start, like, poking their eyes out with it, you know, <laughs> that would be the other way to go. Uh, if you had trained uh, Frankie to attack people, I think yes, he would have been much more successful. So, that's a great point. Uh, we go on to our second match. It was on September 4th. Uh, it is the Big Boss Man taking on Hercules. I guess, I feel like I have not seen enough Big Boss Man on these shows yet. Yeah. He had the great feud with Hogan. He had some tag team stuff. But there's a lot of these shows where he just doesn't show up. And, man, for a big man as good as the Big Boss Man, and he really is one of the best... You know, maybe even top five as far as super heavyweights go. This is a guy that I want to be seeing even more of, personally. I made the same note, is that I don't understand how we went from what we gave him with Hulk Hogan to not seeing him, not building him up, because he is one of the most graceful wrestlers. His look kind of just pops off the screen. His gimmick is amazing. So do not waste this time that we have with the big boss man, please. Indeed. I'm really excited for him to turn babyface. I don't know exactly when it happens, but uh, sometime in the not-too-distant future, I want to say, because he will get a lot of attention, he will get a lot of great stuff to do, and he definitely deserves it. So, really big fan of the big boss, man. Uh, Hercules as well. I think we're now kind of passing the window of relevance for Hercules, unfortunately. Yes. But uh, still a really talented guy. It's still a guy that I want to praise, certainly. Yeah, I also want to shout out Louis Spicoli, who I saw on this episode. Oh. <laughs> my God, man. For folks that want, like, Louis Spicoli was one of my favorite wrestlers for one minute in time in the 1990s. Like, he was so good, I think, with the click. Like, Scott Hall, number one. Scott Hall is almost the smartest man who's ever wrestled as far as marketing, putting people over. And Lou, I think he took Louis under his, his uh, wing for a little bit. And man, I love Louis Spicoli, and he looks like he's about 11 years old on this episode. <laughs> a shout out to Louis Spicoli. My God, man, it was good to see him. He paid a lot of dues for sure. You'll see him a lot doing job work on these uh, these early episodes in his career. So uh, definitely a really talented guy with a lot of potential. Um, it's been sad to watch. I, I've been watching some WCW, and yeah, he has these close connections with Scott Hall. He's really just finally starting to get a push on a big company, and then, of course, he passes away. So that's a um, really sad story. Definitely a, a bit of a what-if scenario. But, yeah, Luis Piccoli, talented guy, guy who deserves some recognition. Absolutely. Yeah. I just like saying his name, too. That's a great name. Luis Piccoli, yeah, it's Luis great. Piccoli. It's literally a fun name to say. <laughs> it is. And it looks good on paper. I got it with two exclamation points, and I'm looking at it right now. Man, shout out. If you are a fan of Luis Piccoli at any point, please let us know. I would love a little chat about Luis Piccoli. 
Oh, man. There's a lot of interesting little people doing job work uh, in this era. Yeah. Um, Mick Foley, not now, but in the past, um, got squashed a few times on TV. Um, Jerry Lynn, I think, uh, is on some of these episodes. Steve Blackman has been around. He'll, he'll be somebody later. Um, yeah, Gangrel, I think, uh, eventually will show up doing job work. So a lot of, a lot of people that you might recognize later sort of showing up and doing little bits and pieces here. So it's a good way to pay your dues. I like to hear about that. Yeah. And you see people sometimes and you think they never, like, they never did anything to get where they are. And then, well, you're just not watching it a lot of times. Like I told <laughs> Benjamin Button, who's doing that Ric Flair series, yeah. like there are times in my life where I feel like Ric Flair was born into professional wrestling with an NWA title in the 80s. <laughs> you know, and it's just not so, but it's hard for me to read that series sometimes and think of him as like a mid-card guy or a coming up guy or still establishing himself guy because we get so used to the narratives uh, that we come to settle down with. It's really hard to shake that uh, wrestling kind of started in 1985. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we know, of course, that there's so much stuff uh, before that and a lot of it is so rich and it's so great. But, you know, it's harder to find the footage, and it's hard, it's not, like, in the main narrative that we talk about. So kind of, like, that was where everybody, wherever they were at that time, that's how they started. You know, if they already existed, they didn't really exist before that in the, <coughs> excuse me, in the master yeah. narrative. Yeah, and it's part of what Vince McMahon did to the professional wrestling world. Yeah. In a lot of ways, you got to give him credit. Like, when you're on the inside calling WWF, you're like, oh, my God, this is genius. He, he took everybody from every promotion, uh, hit them with a trademark uh, so he could own them and set the world, yeah, reset the world. But then when you get outside of this narrative, you realize how much crumbling and suffering and erasure and other things there are because of what we're calling right now. Yeah, it cost us a lot, unfortunately. Um, can't deny the good, but a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff lost that uh, didn't need to be lost, so... Um, this is a short match, but there's good stuff going on in here. There's a great moment where Hercules just, like, bounces off the ropes. I think he's just hurtling at Big Boss Man, and Boss Man just catches him. And it's not one of these, like, picturesque catches. It's like Hercules runs into him with the full momentum, and Boss Man just has to, like, stop that momentum by being a brick wall. And not only is that great, he then transitioned that into an even greater spine buster, which increases my desire to see Arn Anderson versus Big Boss Man, which probably never happened to my knowledge. But man, what a great uh, little segment that was. You you are right. I think we talk so much about how graceful he is and how beautiful the moves are. That There's something else just as great, and that is the moves that they're not necessarily beautiful. They're desperate and you just do what you have to do. And that one felt like Hercules, who could knock a human being out by accident. You know, Bossman has to do what he has to do, and he's able to pull that off, you know, against a guy like that. Oh, it's great. I spent last night watching a lot of uh, older matches. I watched watching, like, uh, Greg Valentine, Tito Santana matches from, like, 1984, 85, stuff like that from that era. And, man, just, like, everything in that time period – is so gritty and so desperate and so not, um, you said graceful, I think it's the right way to say it, but also, like, not graceful, like, not picturesque at all. There's a mm. feeling to matches like that and to movements like that and to segments like that. Uh, I've really kind of become the enemy of, of graceful wrestling in time, and I, I mean graceful in the way that it looks um, 
not like Big Boss Man, but I think you know the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like, the stuff that looks too pretty, too crisp, too picturesque. A lot of times, I'm really the enemy of that stuff. Give me something that's rough, because you know what? Life is rough, like real physicality <laughs> is rough. So give me that, for God's sake. Uh, yeah, you are preaching to the choir right now, but that was so uh, well stated. Um, part of the reason that I kind of divorced from professional wrestling when it had been my entire life was, you know, I got away from it for a few years. And then not only had the style changed, but openly on TV, you know, we're talking about how well these people dance together and, and how they orchestrate together. I'm like, my God, what the hell has happened in like three years that I've been away? But like, I don't like put that in your diary or your book after you retire. But I'm not I didn't tune into it to ballet or dance or anything else that orchestrates. I turned in tuned into a wrestling match. And so don't don't be smarter than again. This is the Vince Russo, Vince McMahon, you know, we're going to cash in today and condemn the business, you know, for decades to come where it can't be anything else except what we turn it into. Indeed. Indeed. Um, Hercules at one point looks like he's going to rack the big boss, man. I get those Luger vibes again, mm. but uh, Hercules is distracted by slick a little bit more credibly because uh, when you're in the rack, you know the manager, he's going to hit you in the back or something. So <laughs> that's uh, yeah. that's something I give more credit to. Big Boss Man hits him with the nightstick and gets a quick victory. And I got to say, I could have watched a lot more of this match. It was actually pretty short, and that is a shame. Yes, and I do want to be more fair to the rack uh, than you just were. Not only can they hit you in the back, they can hit you in the front, they can clip your knee, or they can hit you in the head, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. The rack is amazing, but it leaves you very vulnerable. Um, so, yeah, if there's someone else around, don't use the rack, I guess. But it's so great. I love the rack. Yeah, just do a lazy uh, scorpion death lock where you don't even sit down. You just make an ugly face and stand up while you're applying it, and you'll get a lot further in life. <laughs> oh, my. You're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'm so, so sorry, Lord Alfred Hayes tells us a tale that Slick said something about Hercules' mother. And again, that's right out of the, the heel playbook that you always just say, oh, well, the other guy said something rude. So, you yeah. know, there was no choice but to uh, misbehave or to make a mistake. But uh, in the end, Bossman tries to handcuff Hercules. But uh, this was actually really nice. Hercules, like, uses the handcuff to pull in Bossman and starts punching him in the face. That was cool. And he chases off Slick and he swings the chain and Hercules actually gets a, kind of a moment where he looks strong again, so I appreciated that. Absolutely. I would say these baby faces would have a lot more character, and they would grow, and they'd be a lot stronger in the ring if once in a while the announcers would be like, they made a mistake, or they were wrong for that. But if we keep on just saying, oh, my God, something must have happened, folks. You know, Indeed. maybe that's how you become Hercules, and you never grow and evolve and change and get better because, you know, you can keep making mistakes, and they'll and they'll cover for you, so... You know, I was really thinking a lot about, like, like I said, I was just watching stuff from like 84, 85, now to this, and it's really striking how much more, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you decide if it's a good or bad thing, but this is so much more polished, it's so much more controlled, the narrative is laid out so much more in stone. Um, even just like four or five years before, it was kind of like Wild West, it was like everybody is just kind of like doing what they're best at. And uh, even on commentary, like, they would just kind of call what they saw, and they would criticize anything they saw, they would criticize the referee, like, they would just kind of, like, talk about what they were seeing, whereas now, it's much more 
focused. It's like, this is the story, and we're going to tell that story kind of no matter what we see. And I got to say, I prefer the, the earlier way. You know, uh, th- there's value in having that focus. You might be able to tell a different kind of story that way, and I think we've seen that at times. But, man, I, I would almost rather always take the Old West way where things are just kind of crazy and everybody's just kind of doing it in real time. I prefer that a million times to one, like a million times over. Sure. I, I think probably they're getting better. Every time WWF gets better at what they do, they get worse as a product, and that's just an ironic thing that's <laughs> going to carry itself, you know. And that's what it is, though, because Bobby Heenan is one of the greatest everythings of all time, but even if he wasn't, the thing that established him in WWF was that this was a character that knew that no matter what he did, he was never going to get the benefit of the doubt. He was never going to get credit. You know, so he ran his own narrative before he even went out and did things. And Jesse Ventura, the same way, Jesse Ventura will live forever, you know, off of what he established in the announce booth, how he cut against the lines that were predictable. And now it almost feels like that more scripted, that more, you know, we don't have to do all this. We have perfected the formula and the where anytime we perfect the formula is shallow and surface and easy and less credible and realistic and engaging. This is why 1987, I think was so great because it was almost the perfect sweet spot between the two things. Like a lot of things were still kind of like crazy and everyone was sort of, uh, you know, doing their own thing. They weren't too controlled. They, they sort of just uh, were able to go out there and do what they did best. But also, there was that element of focus in a good way. Like, without that focus, I don't think you can tell the yeah. Hogan-Andre story, the Savage Steamboat story, the way they did, uh, all these great stories. So this is why 1987, I, I'll say it forever, it's not an accident that WrestleMania three is, like, the most successful event uh, practically ever in a lot of ways. Um, they really earned it in 1987 in this really beautiful, um, balanced spot between all the different things that wrestling can be at this time. Yeah, and it's just natural to when you earn things the way they did, you know, you're going to coast eventually, and yeah, yeah, you know, we are in coast mode. I feel like <laughs> at this point, sadly, we have reached it, um, and I don't know exactly when it started, but yeah, I agree, we're kind of there now. So it'll go up and down. Uh, no era can be completely defined by just one statement. Um, so we'll see good, we'll see some bad, but yeah, we're definitely in a different time now than we were just a couple years ago. Yeah, and it's, and it's sad, but it's also a good point that you made because it really is becoming. I can almost mute uh, the 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 the, the uh, voice at this point, and that makes me sad because one of my, the most interesting things to me was the narrative being told during the matches for a long time. Sure, sure, absolutely, and we'll get some of that still, but yeah, it's a bit different than it used to be. So, this is why it's going to be great. Um, and, you know, there'll be downfalls as well, but this is why it'll be great in, like, 97 and as we get on, because they're going to kind of have to go back to a little bit of Wild West, because it's like, we're going to die if we don't make something work, yes. so everybody just try to make something work, and it becomes, like, this wonderful concoction of, of stuff that's outside the box, and a lot of it works, and some of it won't, but it'll be at least very interesting, so I'm looking forward a lot to that. Yeah, we will debunk the narrative that... WWF is just at its best when the genius Vince McMahon is being the genius because so much of that is just stuff that Vince would never tolerate had he not had his back as against the wall as could possibly be. Indeed, indeed. 
Uh, some key players in 97 are coming up also in this next match. We are watching from September 11th, Primetime Wrestling, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty taking on Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart. So uh, definitely a lot of future feelings between Shawn and Bret, as we all know. It's always interesting to watch these two teams wrestle each other. It happened a few times, I think. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. I thought this was like a very solid match. I thought Shawn, in particular, was looking really nice at times. It's becoming more apparent to me that he is uh, clearly going to be the standout of the team. But, uh, yeah, this one, I don't know. It didn't blow me away. Neither of these teams uh, are necessarily top tier. I do like the Rockers quite a bit, but they're not uh, the Brain Busters. They're not Demolition. They're not Strike Force. They're kind of like a little bit of a tier down. So I thought this was a solid match, a fine match. Didn't really blow me away, though. I think in part, it's babyface versus babyface, which, sure. you know, that's ironic considering we're going to get the WrestleMania 12 match, and Vince is not a big babyface versus babyface, and you got this random tag match, and it feels like the hearts are almost heels at the moments, but they're not necessarily going there. I think Brett, Brett was very good in this. I feel like everybody played their roles well. I like Jim Neidhart just bumping them across the ring, but not doing yeah. much. Yeah. I think one thing, too, Marty Jannetty uh, gets to dominate more of the rocker side of the match, which... Mm. He's almost like he does things as well as Shawn Michaels, but he just never pops off the screen like Shawn Michaels, which you know sucks for him. But you know, I don't know what to do with that. But yeah, <laughs> uh, I thought it was a good match, but you know, not the greatest thing in the world. But you know, it is what it is. Uh, the Hart Foundation have not blown me away very often, and the Rockers, I think they're very impressive, but they also rise and fall somewhat with whoever they are wrestling. Yep, yep. I think uh, unlike some of those other teams I mentioned, and uh, I have to say, I, I have to think about if there's someone else on there. But if there are three better, if there are better teams than Brainbuster, Strikeforce, and Demolition in this era, I can't think of them off the top of my head. I feel like that's the big three for me. So I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Those are my favorite as well. All right, very nice. We're on the same page. Um, so yeah, no, they still have a very solid match. It's a fine match. Um, it's baby first versus baby face. And of course they cannot have a clean ending. The Rujos come out after a while. They attack the rockers. It's a disqualification, but the hearts team up with the rockers to fight off the Rujos. And, uh, we get a weird moment where Sean and Brett are kind of fighting side by side. So definitely an interesting curiosity to fans of their relationship over the years. Yeah. I also like the match better before the ending because it, I can't stand well, we just wrestled, but we're all baby faces, so we're working together. The fans get to go home feeling good, and I go home feeling like, oh, that was shallow. I didn't mind it here, because they really had no reason to be, like, acrimonious against each other. It was a clean match. Nobody misbehaved, you know, so maybe a little um, cloying, but uh, I don't know. I thought it was okay, so I, I get you. All right, that's all I got. All right, we got our last match on here, and I don't know about you, but this is actually my favorite match um, that we that we watched this week, I think. It is September 18th. It is Tito Santana taking on none other than the Widowmaker, quote-unquote, who is none other than Barry Windham, who I am very excited to see. I'm a huge Barry Windham fan. He never got all that much to do in the WWF, but he is back for the first time, I think, since WrestleMania 1, when he and Mike Rotunda were uh, wrestling with the tag team titles. Um, 
He is uh, another victim of this era where nobody is really just allowed to have their name. They have to be the something. It's not really going to go anywhere. But, man, I'll just say this match, just by itself, I really enjoyed this match. This match impressed me a lot. Yeah, you you can look at who's on paper and kind of guess what you're going to get. Barry Windham might be the smoothest wrestler of all time, and Tito Santana never sends in a bad match. So you got a great opportunity here. Absolutely so. I really regret Barry Windham uh, is so great, and he does so many great things in his career. Um, but I always feel like this is a guy who could have been a much bigger star, and it's too bad. And from what I have heard, this is a guy who, you know, enjoyed wrestling, but only to a point, and he only kind of did it when he needed to. When yeah. he felt like he kind of had enough, he would maybe not wrestle for a while. He would just take it easy. He would not really invest himself heavily in a company He's going to bounce back and forth a few times between WWF and NWA, WCW. And I just wish if he could have had a little more drive, if he could have stuck in one place, man, this is a guy who really could have been a legitimate world champion easily. Yeah. If we go back to our first WCW, his matchup with Barry Windham at Starcade 80, or with Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh, so good. Yeah, he was just in his zone at that time. I think this era around late 80s is when he really could have done like his best work, if if he if he has a lot of it's on him. I guess Arn and other guys who are more honest said, you know, oh, he's got all the skill in the world, but like you said, doesn't really care that much. You know, goes home when he can. So you can only do so much with that. And my question for you that I wrote down is: you own a wrestling company, and you can only have one of these guys. Who do you take, Barry Windham or Mister Perfect? Oh, I gotta take Mister Perfect. I mean, my my ah. Uh. That's a terrible choice, but Mr. Perfect is just hes a little more near and dear to my heart. I think, uh, you know, when he's not dealing with injury, at least, he, uh, he he's more kind of in the moment. He's more dedicated to what's happening. There's less chance that he's just going to kind of leave when he gets tired of it. Mm. Um, I got to take Mr. Perfect, but that's an agonizing choice because I love Barry Windham. And I, I that came to my mind in part because they're both so good in the ring, and yeah. Perfect is more... WWF Windows more WCW and so I started with Windham and then when I when I kind of factored in like dedication and overall this that and the other I went with Mr. Perfect as well but also like an agonizing choice to make oh that's a tough one it's tar- it's terrible because as much as I love Windham I think if you take that into consideration, you'd have to take a lot of guys before him um, because just what good is a guy who has all the talent in the world and he's just going to go home, you know, when he kind of made enough money for a while, you know, so I don't know. Yeah, you can't, you can't do it. And the, all, the only other comparison, I, and you might be able to help me with this because you have, I think, a greater window of wrestling at this point. Uh, open hand rights, Barry Windham, Scott Hall, Two of the most beautiful open hand rights in the business. Is there anybody else that's in that like conversation? Oh man, it's tough to beat Scott Hall when it comes to that. I would have yeah. to think about it. If I think of someone, I'll get back to you. But man, okay. they gotta be, if not the top two, then very close. I think Scott Hall's gotta be number one. Yeah. Because nobody, oh my God, like at his worst, he could just throw, throw a hand with so much, uh, you know, precision. And uh, I kind of spoke down on it before, but I'll say it positively here with so much grace and just like crack a guy in the head. It's just a beautiful thing. 
it's as beautiful as the chop is and the chop gets so much recognition mm-hmm. but the, the sound of the open right hand the look of it and they're both six 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 seven so i don't know if that has anything to do with it but they're both so graceful for their size there goes that word again but you know yeah i don't know i just heard barry Wyndham. like i heard the smack of that open right and i was like oh my god we've never talked like specifically about the open right hand but my god when it's done right, it is something to behold. Absolutely deserves a lot of recognition. I even mentioned, yeah, like there's so much great punching in this match and from Wyndham and from Santana as well, who has more of the closed fist style and he just throws those fists so beautifully. And I, I appreciate more and more as I, uh, you know, grow older, a great punch in a wrestling match, uh, especially because nowadays you don't see it quite as much. I feel, um, so yeah, a great looking punch is worth a lot. I also really want to praise on Barry Windham's side. This is something we don't talk about much, but how great is it to have a great stagger in professor wrestling? Like to, to get that over so well, just to execute it so well. There's a lot of different ways to do it, but anyone who could sell that well is high on my list. And Windham is great at that in this match. Can you unpack that a little bit? It's just like the way, like you get hit with a with a fist or something usually, yes. and you don't go down. But it's the way you move, it's the way you communicate that, like, wow, I'm rocked by that. I am unsteady on my feet. It's not over the top, but it's something that feels authentic. It's the little movements that like connect with the crowd that is watching. And um, I don't know how to put it better than that. But man, Wyndham does a wonderful job of it here. I'm gonna say something, and this might not even be true at all, but it's what's coming through my mind because. For some reason, I thought about Andre the Giant when you said that. Um, mm. I feel like most people stagger is like they're still standing vertical and they go they go backward. Like, OK, he's rocked backward. Uh-huh. Like that's the common stagger that I think about. I think Wyndham, Andre, maybe some others, they put one leg sometimes to the side and that leg buckles while the rest of them stands up. And they're so like half their body's going backward. But it's not like this. And I don't want to throw a big show under the bus because a lot of people. But. Uh, the common stagger is where it's just like a vertical waving your arms because you might fall down. And then you're right. There is something, oh, God, just unique, just um, specific about the Barry Window stagger, and it does deserve that attention. Man, I love what you're talking about there because the guys who could do that well, that use the word buckling. Mm. That's like, oh, that's a beautiful word in wrestling to me because in order to get that across – you have to be able to communicate both, like, I am still in the fight, I am still trying, but my defenses are, like, wearing down, breaking down, and that is such a complex thing to get across, and too often, I think, and this is not even a modern thing, even in the past, it's just like, well, I'm either all good, I'm all on offense, or I am all, like, on defense, I'm all, like, falling over, but if you can hit that sweet spot in between, where you are trying to stand firm, but you are buckling, man... That that is like top tier wrestling ability in my opinion. It is, and I feel like if Barry Windham does anything, he lives in the sweet spot of all things. Oh, so unfair how good Barry Windham is. Like this is the thing when you're too good naturally, yes. you don't have to fight for it. That's probably half his problem. He's just like, well, yeah. I don't care. I can just always come back to wrestling. I'll be so good that I'll be great no matter what. And, man, it works for a long time. I think uh, not till after 93 does he really kind of, you know, the injuries, the age, it all kind of catches up to him a bit. And he's still good, but, you know, he's not uh, – he just wasted some of his prime here, and it's just a shame because he was just so naturally good. 
and uh, I don't know, maybe that's true of Mr. Perfect, too. You brought him up also, so take take your, your own judgment, but there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah, it, it is. I think Arn also talked about Wyndham didn't like to work out, so he didn't do that, you know, so he didn't do much of anything, and yet he's the most, you know, watch him in this match. We have never broken down a match like this. This tells you what Barry Wyndham <laughs> is, but watch him go in and out of the ring through the second rope. He just has a slight push down on the rope, and he is just gliding in and out with like this effortless motion that makes no sense. Like everything is beautiful and it's effortless at the same time. Mm, absolutely. While we're talking about falling out of the ring, I can't remember exactly if it happens in this match. I think it does, but even if it doesn't, it goes to what we're talking about. People who can fall out of the ring by falling through the ropes are also just beautiful people to me. Cause like mm. watch any like boxing match or anything like that. That's what happens when you're getting like punched in the head, you can easily mm. just like fall out of the ring. It's not pretty. It's ugly. It's messy, and it's so friggin' authentic that it just uh, blows my mind. Yeah, man, that is so true. Uh, this is and Tito too. You think about mm. Tito's offense is always very direct. So give Tito someone who can sell well and give him his offense, and you get what you get here. Absolutely, and we, we praise Wyndham a lot, and deservedly so. But man, Tito Santana shows in this match. He is as good as he ever was, and he, he's just itching for, like, a, a, a nice big feud, a shot at, like, the Intercontinental title. Well, not while fucking Warrior is holding it, but, you know, yeah. like, if it was the Workhorse title like it was supposed to be or like people says it was, then, man, he would be right in that mix. So, eventually, he and Mr. Perfect are going to feud over that title, and it's going to be really, really good. So, I can't wait for that, thinking about that. Yeah, I don't praise him enough because, unlike the model... I was a big Tito fan from 1991 onward, so I take for granted that we know that, but Tito deserves every bit. I, I, w I would never look at Strike Force and be like, one of them carried the other one. Oh, never, never. Like, what a beautiful team. <laughs> I love Strike Force so much. Oh, what a great team. Yeah, this Ooh. is great stuff. Uh, you, you, you hear from what we've broken down. It's also Barry Windham works over the eyes in the match periodically, so he pokes the eye to get an advantage. Then Tito just starts back on the offense, and later he rakes the eyes. So it's like, like just the intelligence mm. of like the only thing that's worked is the eyes. I'll go back to the eyes, even though there's been a period of time in between. Yeah, no, some really great consistency here. Um, we've been talking about NWA. This could be an NWA match easily because mm -hmm. like uh, you've got Figure Fours in here. You get Wyndham. He gets tossed off the top, Ric Flair style, like a clear homage to Ric Flair. I think in that moment. Uh, it's a longer match. They get a lot of time to really do their thing, and they do a great job with it. Even This is something I rarely even think about because there are so many like vertical suplexes in wrestling that I almost don't think about them, but there are some great vertical suplexes in this match because it's Tito doing it to win them, and I don't know if it's one or both, but like they just made them extra great because it's not. it looks like Tito is just forcing Wyndham over and like the yeah. weight of the way they hit is so big. It's great. Like just everything in this match really impressed me. I love the, when it looks like they pick them straight off the ground, not that they're being lifted up by them, by the guy being suplexed. Exactly. Uh, I also, the Barry Wyndham is the only guy who doesn't have to float over to do a float over a suplex because everything <laughs> he does is float. Yes. Oh, wow. Is he another air element? Maybe. Mm. Barry I have to think about that. I, I feel like he can't be just air, but there's some air quality about yeah. him just from the floating. So 
Okay. I'm always excited to find an air person because there was a time when we couldn't, like, think of any. So now now it's exciting to kind of dig some up. So definitely some air element with Barry. Yeah, Wood. I don't know what his primary element is because it's not it's not giving a shit about anything. I don't know which <laughs> element that is. Maybe some – I don't know. Maybe air is the best fit because, like, I don't think he's dedicated enough to be earth. He's definitely not fired up enough to be fire. He's not really even that flexible with water. It's not like that kind of flexibility where you change to fit the situation because he never really changed. I don't know. I think he's got to be air. So, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think as much as we're praising his in-ring work, it's a testament against him ever getting over as super big as a character that we can't even make safe guesses to, like, uh, what his ambitions, his goals, his character is about. You're probably right, but even so. So I'm, I'm glad we uncovered it a little bit at least. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Tito hits the flying forearm. We get the bell ring. Uh, looks like it's a time limit draw. Tito kind of, like, keeps fighting Wyndham anyway. Wyndham uh, leaves. And uh, Howard Finkel just says it's a draw, so we just are left to assume it's a time limit. But uh, it was still a really good match. I got to praise it a lot. If you only watch one match from what we're talking about, watch this one, September 18, Primetime Wrestling, Barry Windham versus Tito Santana. Absolutely. Okay, we're finally up to Saturday night's main event. And I got to say, I really thought the Rapid Fire promos were gone, but they must have heard us. 30 years in the past because they're back and uh, I hope they're not going anywhere because they they are fun. I really enjoy these. This is one of the greatest uh, we're talking about legacy series, one of the greatest acknowledgments of history because you're really feeling how many years have gone by when you see different guys with different storylines because you know there was a time that Honky Talk Man was going to be in every one of them. (laughs) You know, that's how far we are into the future even though and then you got, you're going to have Piper, Savage, DiBiase, and Hogan, but you're also going to have the Bushwhackers, so we are definitely not in 87, <laughs> for example. Right, yeah. Unfortunately, we have the Bushwhackers, we have Zeus, but we also have a lot of talented people. Um, so, yeah, we get Roddy Piper up first. He is manic, as you might expect. He's going to go through Haku. He's going to make Heenan cry. Uh, we have Savage and Sherry, who look, I cannot stress enough how amazing they look. In, like, the king and queen gear. Like, they pulled it off unbelievably. Um, I think Savage is much more in his element again. I think you mentioned this as well. Yeah, this will be one that I point out. I felt like it was 87 Savage in his matchup at times just because of the way he's working again. They say, long live the king and queen, and they are from the kingdom of the madness. (laughs) I love it. Um, the Bushwhackers <laughs> want you to tell your mom that they're here for some reason. They lick each other, and yeah, you you called it exactly when uh, they were going to join this kind of like insufferable group that I always don't enjoy seeing. Um, but they're here. Uh, DiBiase is with Zeus, who is grimacing just the way you might expect. You don't even have to watch it to know what he looks like, what he's doing. Uh, Ted is not worried about Hogan. He says Zeus is his million-dollar insurance policy, which is quite a downgrade from Andre, who I think maybe you said that about in the past. Um, Hogan says he also has millions, but he has millions of holsters, so he wants to use his fans as currency. Please pay attention to the signs. Uh, they're all going to stamp Ted as insufficient funds, which is not a great line to go out on, in my opinion, but here we are. Yeah, so we got... Again, DiBiase with Zeus is just more... This is not Andre the Giant. This is not this era. I, th- I think it's a bad move. 
I guess in part we can't have Zeus by himself because, you know, <laughs> promos. But, you know, we're getting too close. Like, DiBiase, we're going to reference buying the championship, and now he's got this big guy who is supposed to be the main reason, the main thing, and it's just not Andre the Giant. So good luck uh, with our second try of getting this Hogan-Zeus feud over. Uh, I get, Were they hoping to have, like, a Hogan-Zeus singles match at some point? Cause like, yes. Oh, God, what a horrible idea. Are you saying yes because they did think that or just because it feels that way? Uh, Conrad said to Bruce, was there ever thought of, you know, like a Hogan-Zeus WrestleMania or like a big match? And uh, pretty much they said the minute they saw him work, that was out the window. But I guess, you know, in first thinking, they were going for big, big singles feud. Uh, So... I think I said this before. I often criticize Vince Russo for introducing this anyone can be a wrestler thing into wrestling and how bad it was for everybody. But you can't even really blame him because here it is pre-existing him. It's like, well, we've got all these great wrestlers who worked their whole lives to be great. But, hey, why don't we bring in someone who knows fuck all and he's just big and uh, this is not noticeably better than like Jay Leno and David Arquette and all the things that will be criticized later on in WCW. So again, to your point, um, you know, not that people don't criticize Zeus, but it sure doesn't get as much conversation as those things. So, you know, when we're talking about bad things that companies have done, like this has got to be right up there. It feels like Jay Leno. Now that you say it, like there's a gray color. There's a, like, it, even when it hits, it's not really hitting. It's just, it feels a lot like, I think Jay Leno is a good comparison. Uh, also stupid Vince Russo. I stumbled upon a Steve Austin, Vince Russo conversation. And Russo's like, well, I'm going to listen to you. You're a wrestler. I'm not a wrestler. I'm like, you're the fucking former WCW world champion. So let me get out of this conversation, YouTube, and please never recommend this to me again. Oh, my God. That's, um... <sighs> Yeah, for all the he likes to say that oh I didn't want to be on screen and man he sure yeah. couldn't stop putting himself on screen for God's sake so that's yeah how how do you end up out there just just tell the truth one time in your life just one time in your life and and maybe I'll have a different conversation but uh, yeah. one one major benefit that uh, WWF will always have over WCW is they never they never put Vince Russo on screen as a, a notable character so. yeah absolutely oh, uh, Jesse and Tara this is the sixth season of Saturday Night's Main Event. Jesse says, I put up with you for six seasons, which he's not going to put up with him that much longer. So Sad but true. I don't know how these seasons are being counted. Uh, this is the sixth season, so here we are. Ventura is wearing uh, even weirder headgear than usual, like kind of like golden braids like draped over his head. Yeah. So I don't know. Very strange. But you know what? That's, Ted, that's Ventura. So... Vince had to love this, though, because not only are they on prime time, but now they got seasons like shows that are not professional wrestling. This had to be one of the highlights of his life at this time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, so yep, they're back together. And I, I, I'm glad it's Vince and Ventura and not Vince or not uh, Ventura and Tony, because I'm just yeah. Uh, that. Yeah, that pairing isn't for me. So. Uh, all right. We go to our first match. It's going to be Randy Savage taking on Jimmy Snuka. Backstage, uh, Ventura is with Savage, and he praises that beautiful coronation, and rightly so. Savage uh, has really gone all in on being royal. He's uh, on the quest to show he's the greatest king, even if he has to soil his blood with commoner blood. Uh, They do a great bit where Ventura wants to kiss Sherry's hand, and Sherry, and I was surprised, is like, 
almost shy about this. And she's like, oh, you have to ask Randy first. And man, this is a woman who knows um, what's going to go over well with the guy she's with. You know, yeah. he'll, he'll never have to worry about lustful eyes on Sherry's part because, like, she knows her role. She knows what's going on. It was a tense moment for me because Savage had already said Jesse was his friend, so he can call him anything as long as it's with respect. And the minute Savage said he had another friend, Jesse asked, may I kiss her royal hand? And I'm like, oh, my God, where are we going with this whole Kogan? But it all worked out, and that's because of Sherry, like you said. she. This is why I think she is, like, next to Bobby Heenan right now. Sure. Like She knows who her clients are. She knows what they want. And she knows how to play her role and lift them up, and she is just fantastic here and she diffuses what could have been the next mega powers exploding in one <laughs> promo whereas she doesn't take a year to help it uh, along so good job sherry there is no doubt that bobby Heen and sherry and I, I would say slick as well are on this just unbelievable top tier of managers right now that uh, that has never maybe been replicated anywhere and uh you know, we got Jimmy Hart and Mr. Fuji as well, kind of like making up the numbers. There's yeah. never been a, a greater collection of managers in history, I think, than the big five we have right in this moment. Yeah, if there are, like, they don't come to my mind. No, oh, not at all. Um, Gene Erkelin is with Snuka for some reason. Uh, <laughs> who Snuka, knows? Uh, he says there's no king over him, and then he hoots, barks. He makes some kind of weird animal noise and and walks away. So take that for what you will. And I'm just wondering, like, did you did you make those same statements when Hacksaw was king, or was it okay to have a king at that time? <laughs> yeah, every person who complains about having a king sure has no problem wanting to be a king or or crediting a king <laughs> when it's somebody they like. So you know, again, it's just uh, it's politics. It's on the, which side you're on. So. Yeah, it. when the baby faces don't win the king, they still put the, the the crown and the cape on like they they sure love like prancing around as king and for something that's so vile. But again, it's everything else. It's not vile to be king. It's vile to be a heel and to lift up your head in any way, you know, shape or form. Well said. Very well said. So we got Savage looking. I'll say this: at least Savage doesn't have to wrestle Beefcake anymore. We can all be very grateful for that. Um, yeah, this match, it's really all about Savage for me. I love the energy he sends. I love Sherry. I should say it's about Savage and Sherry, because Sherry was my hero in this match, because she kicks the living hell out of Jimmy Snuka, and she gives him more than I think he can handle at times. So uh, both Savage and Sherry do a great job. Snuka is what he is. Um, but, yeah, uh, I can't say I really love this match, but I loved uh, certain elements that happened in this match. I also love the placement because with Warrior not on this show, you're right back to Hogan and Savage like holding up the spots that they want to make sure the fans tune in. So Savage is still being depended on heavily by the WWF. And I said something like a royal mankind to Hogan's Austin and all, and uh, Andre's Rock, but I don't know where they all fall in that. Uh, I just wanted to think about mankind as uh, the, the king next to Sherry riding out and pretending to be royal for a moment. <laughs> Great stuff. You know, this is as far as star power goes. It's kind of a packed Saturday Night's main event because you've it got is. Hogan and he's wrestling DiBiase. You've got Piper back, which is huge. Yes. Please don't understate that. And then uh, Savage as well in a, in a major match here. So like that's four of the biggest stars that you will get in this era, and probably four of the biggest of all time that you you have right in this match uh, or in this show. So very packed on star power here, even without Andre and. Uh, Eh, warrior. 
Yeah. I also said Savage can still move around like he used to, but he is deliberately slower so that he can beg off as a heel so that Sherry can do the amazing work that she does. And I think this is what Sherry's doing, and this is part of what lifted her up even more to me. I think every time Savage is pinning somebody, she is slapping the mat so that they don't know where the count is happening at. Ah, what a great, what a great little thing to pick up on. I love that. I that to me is as good because those are the things as a kid. Like why for years I was not sure if wrestling was a work or not because those are the things I would be like. Why would somebody go out of their way to slap the mat in order to confuse somebody if it's all just make believe? Like it just seems too real of a detail to push aside. <laughs> That's perfect. That's beautiful. I absolutely love that. Great observation. Um, Savage will use uh, <laughs> Sherry's quote unquote pocketbook as Vince uh, screams many times. To, to hit Jimmy Snuka and he will win. And I will say if there is a, a, a bit about this pairing that I'm less crazy about, it's that Savage has to use like Sherry's, um, accessories in every single match. So, uh, you know, the purse or the, uh, pocketbook, which I don't know what he thinks a pocketbook is. So I don't know if I agree with that definition here, but yeah, yeah he, he does have to use it in competition. It's a tiny purse that I guess we have to believe there's like a weight or a brick inside. Yeah. Like I hated WCW when they were doing the the high heel, but at least I believed that if you got hit with a high heel, it was gonna hurt you. Like Savage, the only impact that that purse has is whatever like a du- double axe handle swing or that he's got behind it. Right. It's a stupid thing, but they're doing it regularly. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, it never really looks like it's weighted. And I'm not saying they got to put a brick in there, but man, just <laughs> something to make it actually look like it has weight. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, Savage just win, um, and that's certainly what should happen. Savage looks like he's going to do another elbow after the match, but Stuka gets out of the way. Um, Stuka tries to go up top as well, but Sherry uh, runs in the ring and protects him in a great moment. She'll put her body on the line, and she won't even hesitate for, like, half an hour like Elizabeth would have done. Um, Vince uh, Vince is just screaming for Jimmy Snuka to, like, jump on Sherry and just squish her as well. So that tells you all that I think you need to know about that situation. Uh, they do end up getting away, but that is uh, the post-match situation for this match. Yeah, we have been told by former King Hacksaw that it's open season on Sherry, so that has been uh, declared. <laughs> Uh, and we will see that definitely to be true. But you know what? I still think Sherry could take on just about anybody that came after her in this thing. I can't, I can't say enough how much I enjoyed her just, just laying into Jimmy Snuka every chance she got. She just kicked the living bejesus out of him, and uh, you know couldn't happen to a nicer person. So there you go. Yeah, he ought to know by now. Like if, if Hacksaw's being handled by these two, then you're gonna be handled by these two. Indeed, so. Jimmy Snuka. What is your purpose? What do you even matter? You don't, so go away. The things you were good at, you're not that good at anymore and everybody's better, so my uh disinterest in Jimmy Snuka continues here. Okay, Jesse Ventura is with the million dollar man and Zeus. And I don't think we've talked enough about this feud between Zeus and his chest. <laughs> He really smacks that thing. Uh, he and Ultimate Warrior both have chest vendettas Ooh. right now, uh, but only against themselves. So, uh, what I don't know what I want to say about that, except that Zeus and Ultimate Warrior have kind of the same exact mannerisms, so maybe that'll tell you something about what's going on. 
Yeah, if he could do if he could do that just a little bit faster, man, he, he, that'd, that'd be a career. That'd be money to make Zeus. Uh, what uh, were they I like? like yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Were you, were you gonna? No, say go something? ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I mentioned this before, but what the hell? Like they're gonna have Zeus anyway, so fine. We have to have Zeus. Why did they make him look so stupid? Why does he have the stupid unibrow? Why are they going out of their way to, like, focus on his lazy eye? You know, why does he look like... He doesn't look like he's all there. He looks like um, not threatening. He looks like kind of a clown sometimes with, like, the weird dumb hairdo and just, like, he's not smart and he's not threatening and just because he can, like, clench his whole body and he's tall. Like, that's... Okay, you're tall. All right, we get it. Like... Just the presentation of this fails on so many levels, and it's worse even than it needed to be. So I don't know what the hell we're doing here. Yeah, he's tall and he's from Hollywood. I think that that's enough right there, buddy. But <laughs> you're right, though. I never thought about it. He almost would be better as Hulk Hogan's buddy because like he came, they worked together on a movie, so that would make more sense. And he just looks like a guy who's really happy and having the time of his life is what I see instead of the menacing uh, Zeus that we're supposed to see. <laughs> It's just silly. I don't know. Ted says he only buys the best, but he bought Zeus, so clearly he has been uh, misled, or he's lying to us. So I think he's lying to us, because I appreciate his hustle, but nothing very works out very well for a man that has that much opportunity to buy stuff. He, he's not doing that well. There are hills that are outpacing him without the money. Uh, he's got that million-dollar belt, though, which is a yeah. great look, so he's got that. He says money will talk and Hogan will walk. Uh and one thing I noted, I think it's also after the match because uh, Hogan's about to be up here, but count how many times that Hulk Hogan tells us how menacing Zeus is supposed to be and how bad it felt to be in the ring with him. Like, we, you don't have to tell that much if you're actually showing and it's paying off. Mm, mm, yeah, you are correct about that. Um, Ted DiBiase, I've often credited him as being one of the biggest stars of this era, and I think he definitely is, but I think it's striking that, you know, compared to where he was a year ago, um, there's no chance. Like, DiBiase's never going to be world champion at this point, and I think that's, like, very obvious uh, when watching along. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. He's been sort of reduced to uh, being in that really rarefied air where you're like, wow, this guy actually, like, credibly could win the title to now, and he's like... Eh, he's sort of a prop for like this Zeus feud, so that's uh that's kind of unfortunate for Ted DiBiase here. Yeah, I do think the Hogan Ted DiBiase match that we're about to get to in a moment is a new low for me in that yes. everything feels watered down. I felt like a lot like I was watching Hulk Hogan in the nineties and you know, there's nothing the padding is gone and I'm just watching like a match with no story, with little heat, and then there's it leaves us with not much to, to look at in a positive light. Again, we have not uh, coordinated our thoughts on this at all, but once again, we are very much in sync here because, uh, yeah, this is a match that will not impress me at all and will feel very by the numbers. It will feel like a very lazy Hogan, and uh, there's just not much to comment on here. I think uh, if this had happened, like I said, a year ago, they, they would have put a lot more effort into making this something exciting. I also find it interesting that in a time where Hulkamania seems to be dipping a little bit and Ultimate Warrior is about six months away from replacing Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan says in his promo that uh, 
Hulk Hogan is the majority stakeholder in the WWF. Hulk Hogan is the WWF. And then he mentions the big bank teller in the sky, but that's, you know, other things. Fair enough. He does throw in a few money puns, but uh, you can tell what this is about because I feel like he mostly just talked about Zeus here. Um, but I don't know to what point in purpose. I guess they're going to be on different teams at Survivor Series to yeah. fight each other. Um, and I think there's going to be one more match where they try to like put over no holds barred but I, i'm not gonna watch that certainly so one was no. enough to of that same tag match they're gonna run that same pairing again and i don't need to see that again at all can you imagine if a studio called zeus and they're like oh we really liked your audition and we actually want to cast you in our movie and he's got to be like well i'm still stalking my former uh a co-star like i i'm i'm either trying to like end his career or just wrestle a match with him you know, and until then, like, until I, like, kill my former co-star, I won't be able to come help, but I'll be glad to be on your movie after that. And, you know, they're probably like, um, well, okay, thank you for that. And no, we're not going to go with the guy who is, like, chasing his former co-star around the country right now. Well, I don't know if the offers were pouring in for Zeus anyway, but, yeah, no, I mean, this goes to what you were talking about. What a poor story yes. this is. Like, even putting everything aside – what a poor, oh, we made a movie, and he didn't like me, or was jealous, maybe, he thought he was supposed to be the star, he doesn't know how movies work, apparently, <laughs> you know. Nobody um, do this. Yeah. Nobody. So, yeah. It uh, it lacks all credibility, all authenticity. Um, this is where, like, if we're going to bring back that word cartoonish in a bad way, like, here mm-hmm. it is, like, this is a, a bad cartoon this is like a Hanna-Barbera-like motivation of like, oh, we were in a movie and I didn't like you and like we need Scooby-Doo to unmask him or something. So yeah. it's like very cheesy, very childish, nothing nothing you can really invest in, I think. So I don't know. That's just my feeling. If somebody unmasked him and he was a WWF wrestler trying to get at Hulk Hogan, <laughs> it would be a better storyline than what it is. <laughs> you are absolutely right about that. Oh, my God. This is the low of the low in this series so far. Uh, and they're treating it, and the thing that I hate because we watched Andre the Giant, they're treating it like Andre the Giant. Every time Zeus stands in the ring or Hogan and Zeus touch, they act like they acted with Andre, and they act like the fans are acting like that, and they act like it feels like that, and it is so naked, and it is so unavoidable to see that it is skeleton at best, and it's going to fall in on itself. And it hurts me to watch it because we are just coming out of so much of that stuff and I know what it feels like and this is not that in any shape, form, or of the imagination. Yeah, absolutely. And this is um you know you mentioned like they're coasting now. You look back and there's success after success, WrestleMania one, big success, two with Bundy, success, Orndorff feud, huge success, Andre feud, huge success, boss man feud drew incredibly well. Uh, Randy Savage feud, huge success, all this stuff, and they're just, like, drunk on success and power now, and it's just like, well, we can do anything, so let's do, you know, uh, something shitty, and, like, we think it's a good idea, so we're not going to really think critically about it like we did before. We're just going to throw it out there. We're going to make a movie. We're going to have this feud, and it's all still going to be a success, but guess what? Just because you had a lot of successes does not mean success is guaranteed. So here's, yeah, where we start to dip some. Here's where we start to burn some of our credibility with the audience. People are going to move on. They're going to go on to uh, whatever the next thing is, Ninja Turtles, Power Rangers, something. You're going to lose those kids quick. You're going to see a lot of people exit wrestling fandom around this time, and they are not going to come back. Uh, If they come back at all, 
until uh, some some later events in the late 90s. That's, that's so well said. And the stupidity or arrogance or ignorance of this era is that half the reason that this thing sucks is because WWF wants to be Hollywood so bad that they're bringing Hollywood into WWF to promote the movie and to promote themselves that way. And then half the reason we're moving on from Hulk Hogan is because, by God, he's leaving to go do movies. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it's bad on both ends, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's such nonsense. Ted DiBiase doesn't feel like Ted DiBiase. Hulk Hogan does. I have no belief that even Hogan and DiBiase have heat because – it's just like with Bobby Heenan. Look how long Bobby Heenan and Hogan were connected. These two have separated from each other. And it, it the fact that they're just picking up as if they have not been apart from each other. And that has not been done because the stories have been so ingrained and engrafted that that has not needed to happen. So they feel like almost I'm watching like someone perform Hulk Hogan, perform Ted DiBiase, and it's not even them and this is not even that. So everything just feels cheap, hollow, and just not what not what it used to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is not the worst match I ever saw or anything, but it is bog standard. It is by the numbers. It is a, yeah. uh, a pale imitation of a match that even these two guys could have had at a different time and place. So they do their thing. Nothing interesting happens. Zeus comes in at one point and just grabs Hogan, and the ref is just there and, like, he doesn't care, I guess. Like, there's no DQ or anything. So, Ted hits Zeus by mistake, and Hogan uh, small packages him to win a very generic match, where uh, the only thing that was interesting to me is when Jake came out, and, um, you know, he, he kind of inserted himself into the match a little bit, and he clears the ring of the heels afterwards with the snake, so... Because Jake has a storyline with Ted DiBiase. Exactly. They actually have some kind of story going on, which can actually create some interest. So, yeah, that's why that was the only thing which actually dot 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 created interest in this match. I also like Virgil running down and stealing the snake because if the heels mm. had just been a little smarter, all these guys that love these objects and wanted to end with the objects, you ought to be just as mindful of the object. If they don't want to have a match, you don't have a match. And just if they're going to use the object, you're going to steal the object every time. And there was a way to neutralize this, and for once, they actually did that. Yeah. The problem with that is uh, you, you mess with a babyface's uh, object, and he will never stop coming yeah. after you. <laughs> so you don't want to invite that. Just, like, take your yeah. medicine the one time and let it go, because otherwise you won't get out of this for a long time. Um, especially with Jake. My God, I wouldn't touch that bag uh, mm. if you pay me $1,000, you know, because he would just plague my life forever. He would get in some weird game with his wife, some weird sexual thing that I was just a pawn in, so I don't need that. That's a great point. Oh, I imagine, I'm glad this never happened, but I don't know why with Hogan and Jake together, like Zeus being out there one day and Jake coming out to confront him, and like the snake bag is just gigantic. Like I've never seen it that big, and then Hulk Hogan comes like squir squirming out of the snake bag and just attacks Zeus. <laughs> so. Glad we never got that. <laughs> let's be let's be all glad about that. So, my God, Whew. All right, so uh, so we get past that mercifully, and uh, we get to something I'm a lot more interested in. So uh, we we yes. have Haku versus Roddy Piper. Before that, we see another clip of Piper versus Rude, where Rude uh, throws something in Piper's eyes that blinds him on the Brother Love Show, and then he hits him 
with the brother love podium and that thing was not built to be thrown at people like that mm. looked painful as hell so uh i guess i gotta give credit to uh like you want to talk about stuff that has weight like that looked incredibly painful so there's that this is also the difference between hogan's feud and this like hogan is now in his i think the first few that I could get up and walk away from the screen because there's nothing of legitimacy that matters that could happen because none of it matters this is one where the feud is real it is storied and rooted and it gets even better because piper is trying to go through the whole family you know which sets up this thing where nobody's safe nobody's comfortable uh the family's trying to pretend like oh they're just having a good time and they're happy and piper is going to try to make it uh evident that that they are not as happy as as they say they are (laughs) indeed um yeah it's it's a very interesting feud it's a good feud i like to i i really like piper more often than i don't and certainly he has his down periods where he is uh he can be one of the worst things on the show but man more often he is good and when he's good he is frequently great so i'm really into this feud i think it's being done very well i like that it has a lot of different pieces i like that these guys uh are so incensed that they have to fight in many different areas like they can't stop fighting they're on prime time they're on the brother love show they're fighting in places where fighting is not supposed to happen and that may sound simple but they really make it work they really put it over and i, I gotta praise everyone involved in this feud because uh, it's been very good so far yeah it really feels like to me that piper is trying to prove that he's not just a hollywood star that he is back for real and even maybe trying to reintroduce himself to people who used to know him or don't even know him because I feel like maybe some of his credibility wore off a little bit and this is almost like a a revival of Roddy Piper. Yeah, no, I I feel like that as well. Uh, This is a guy who went to Hollywood and actually did have success. Um, He made They Live with John Carpenter, which I actually think uh, is a great movie. Um, did some other stuff as well that was maybe a little more mixed, but yeah, I mean, he's back here in wrestling. He's a guy who will never, ever really be able to leave wrestling entirely. And, uh, he not like, he's not phoning it in at all. He's not relying on his former stardom. This is a guy who is really pushing to reestablish himself. And, uh, I give him a lot of credit for that. Absolutely. Uh, Jesse Ventura's with Bobby Heenan and Haku. This is where they are putting over the family, putting over the good time they're having. They're going to work over that dumbbell in a dress. <laughs> and Haku speaks English for yes. a few seconds in this promo. And that, whoa, that almost never happens. So there you go. Haku is a beautiful, beautiful soul. Oh, he's great. I love Haku. I got to say, of the Saturday Night's Main Event matches, um, there are two that I really like. And one of them is coming up right here. So I'm excited to talk about this one. I agree. There's a lot to be said about the match we're coming into. Uh <laughs> Roddy Piper is doing his usual his usual stand up. Um, G. Darklin asks about Haku. He says, "God bless you." So uh, he also says it's a full moon out, Miss Fan. <laughs> I think we all know what that's in reference to. I want to throw this out here. It's just a little curiosity I just thought of. Roddy Piper reminds me kind of of Robin Williams at times, mm. and they both have kind of like this manic style, and they will like try things, try things, try things, like really rapid fire, and not all of them are going to hit, and yet they are both, like, incredible legends in their field, so, like, you know, even though they were maybe a little too manic for people at times, like, when they were hitting, they were hitting so well, and yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm a big fan of both, I just thought of that, and I wanted to throw it out there. 
I like that a lot, man, because there are definitely times where if you watch the wrong thing, you can think this guy is just irritating. I don't even know why he's popular. And then when you see most of what they do, it's like this person's a freaking genius and we're lucky to have them. And it just tells us, like, you know, you think about our lives, like, you know, everybody's like, oh, I want more attention or I want more fame or I want more this or that or the other. Well, some of the, like, how much have you put yourself out there where you, you come off as nothing but irritating and annoying and a flop? You know, so, you know, these guys, they were committed for the, their entire life to what they were projecting. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. But as Ms. Fan has told you, when it worked, you got what we're about to talk about right now. I really do appreciate the way Piper communicates because uh, I don't know if this is the same for everybody. I'm sure it's true for some people. When I talk to like, um, like if I have to give a presentation or I have to talk to a group or something, often I will be, it's almost like I don't exist in that mm. moment. Like it's just my communication is all that exists and what's in my head. Like I'm not thinking about that. Uh, my thought process is totally different. Sometimes when I get after that moment, I can't even remember exactly what happened. And I feel like it's very much the same for Piper. Like his communication is all that he is in those moments. And it is instinctual. It's not intellectual. And that means it's not going to be a hundred percent of the time because it's not carefully planned out. And yet it is going to be richer in the times that it does work because it comes from that really authentic, really unplanned place. Oh man. Yes, 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 yes. And you think about when you do give a talk that goes well and it's a combination of being received well and like you said, you don't even remember it happening. So it's a certain kind of high, a certain kind of fix that you can hardly ever get in this world. So you imagine, you know, what it's like, how easily you could become addicted to that if you're able to get that response all the time. And, oh, you know, I know there's times like this show. This is why I think about like when we're so like, oh, what did you mean when you said this? What did you mean? Half the time I say things on the show that I might not agree with next week, but, you know, it's just a real time conversation. And like you said, it's very instinctual and it's just throwing stuff out there, you know, and being in the zone and being a little bit lost. So I think sometimes we've lost the sophistication of all that goes on in, in communication and performance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, and I'll just say, um, you know, I, I, there are a lot of things I like in modern wrestling, but one thing I don't like is how um, planned and scripted, uh, promo, uh, promos and, and talking has become in a lot of different places and I think you just have to look at something like this to realize why that's not the best way why it is better to be instinctual and to be in the moment because most, I want to say wrestlers in particular are going to be better if they are like feeling it in that moment, if they're allowed to say what they need to say because you know if they were <laughs> there are some wrestlers who are great actors, but there aren't many because if they were great actors, they would just be actors. They would be insane to do this instead of acting. Um, so it's, it's a different kind of thing. It's not acting, you know, it, it's performing in a different way. So when you get somebody like Piper who can communicate like this and who, who can get this kind of great response, you just see the greatness of that style and how much it can be the best thing. Yeah, and I can give you a long list of wrestlers who prefer, here's some bullet points, now go riff and go be yourself and go be your character. Sure. Where's Are the they... line of wrestlers who say, oh, I liked it better when we started scripting everything? I was going to say, I don't know if I've ever heard that from anybody ever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that should tell you something right there. 
That is the sweet spot, though, because like you said, they're not actors or they would be in Hollywood. You know, so don't script them like that. But also, you know, what wrestling promotion would ever exist long term if you didn't have a plan and everybody just ran around and said whatever they wanted to? It is give them bullet points and let them sink or swim. It is a special kind of performance. And everything that is the best about professional wrestling is that it is special and unique and not like everything else. And all we ever want in the, from this company is to be like everything else. Mm, yeah. Ah, indeed. Indeed. Uh, so we do have this match, Haku versus Roddy Piper. And I don't know about anyone else, but I, I see this match on paper and I get excited because all I can think about is fists flying. Um, and this match, it's really, it's kind of a short match. But in that time, it's really everything I wanted it to be because it is a very furious match. It is a physical match. It is two guys laying into each other. There's a lot of excitement around this match. I, I really enjoyed watching this one. Because of it being so short, it is less than I imagined it to be and better than I thought it would be. Okay, okay. Tell us more about that. Because, like, you know, I imagined more because I like both of them and I thought it would be longer. So, obviously, I thought there would be more to it. Mm. But everything they did was perfect. Roddy Piper diving off the apron. Roddy Piper doing a belly-to-belly suplex, mm. chasing Bobby Heenan around. Haku being Haku and getting that Haku action. Like, for what they did, there was never a spot where I was like, you know, this is less than it could be. They maxed out everything that they did in this match. Absolutely so, and it may have been the best way, because Piper, you know, he hasn't wrestled in a long time. I don't know if this is his first match back. It must have been one of them, I would think. Um, And Roddy Piper, he's not really known for long matches, so (laughs) it's probably for the best, actually, to have this short, incredible burst of energy. Like you said, I think they really maximized what they had here. They put on something that that was very exciting and that I enjoyed a lot. Yeah, I would say definitely watch this. You know, it's not going to be the greatest match. It's not going to be the five-star match. But if you talk about maxing out your storyline and doing everything according to what your characters would be doing, they're in the pocket with that. Absolutely. Uh, Roddy Piper gets the win, as I'm sure you would expect. Uh, and clearly, he's going to make his way through some more Heenan family members. So, uh, I don't even... Um, I, there's some Heenan family members I think he wouldn't want to come across with here. Did Piper and Andre, they must have wrestled at some point, but I don't think anywhere that we're ever going to see, unfortunately. But just thinking about that is interesting in and of itself. It is, especially after uh, the dud of Warrior standing with uh, Andre. That does sound very (laughs) remarkable. Doesn't it just? Yeah. Um, so, So, yes, the feud will continue. We will definitely see more of it as we go forward. Speaking of feuds that continue... We have DBS backstage. He's yelling yeah. at Jake for sticking his nose in his business. He says Jake will pay the price. Zeus is also there, and he screams about Thanksgiving. And uh, I'm just wondering, where's Virgil in all this? Did the snake eat him, or, like, he's nowhere to be found, so I yeah. hope he's okay. <laughs> yeah, they never even ask about it because who cares. But I thought Virgil had one of the great moments of the night just to run out and take that snake, you know, so. Absolutely. Props yeah. to Virgil. Uh, Gene Oakland with Slick and uh, Rick Martel. Rick Martel says that he was strike force. Uh, Slick says he's got ways and means, but what I mean will be seen. (laughs) 
I love the way Slick talks, like his promos, the things he does. I'm a big Slick fan, so good stuff. I also love the Saturday Night Main Event t- uh, heel manager teasers are still there. <laughs> yep, yep, I like that as well. Um, the only thing, they talk, like, Okada's like, hey, will your feud with Tito Santana ever be over? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's been going on since WrestleMania. Why haven't we been seeing more of it? That will be the big problem with this feud is it will often be relegated to the background and not get the attention that I believe it deserves. Yeah, one thing about WWF that's been consistent, and it didn't matter as much when it was so good, but it's almost like if you have a certain amount of in-ring quality, that almost too much of it, they're going to flatten you and lessen you and, and not give you as much time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Imagine for a moment that this was the Intercontinental title feud and that Ultimate Warrior was just popular on his own, as he certainly could have been. You know, I, it, I've sort of made fun of the idea of the Intercontinental title is the workhorse belt because clearly it's just not at times. But sometimes it certainly was. And man, I don't know, it would be very gratifying for me if that title was moved over here and it was elevating this feud, it was giving more attention on it. Because this feud... Um, it, it will never, I think, get the attention it deserves. And if it had just gotten more, uh, I think it would be regarded as one of the great feuds of this era. And um, I don't know. I just wish it could have been that way. Yeah, two great points. Number one, then you out, you out, you have an IC title match at WrestleMania six instead of engulfing both belts into one matchup. Sure. And also, I said this last week, if you had treated Tito and Martel properly, when you move into Mr. Perfect, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty, like you, you that, that IC title division is so rich if you build these guys off of each other versus you know, never giving them the credibility to give each other to get to, to give the next man credibility. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Oh, sad. Uh, Gene Oakland is with Tito, who is a little you know still angry about things. He's never surprised about what that backstabbing coward will do. So. <laughs> I'll say this. What do you think about this? Everything that Ricky Steamboat is supposed to be as a character, I feel like Tito Santana actually is. Because he's able to pull off like this fired up attitude without coming off like a grumpy asshole like Ricky Steamboat does. What do you think about that? I love the comparison. I, I would need to think about that more, but I've always thought about the similarities between Tito and uh, Ricky Steamboat. And we praised Martel a lot, but Tito is another guy who could have had such a greater legacy if they had just let him. Absolutely so, yeah. He's a guy who um, who definitely suffers from the fact that he his prime, probably his biggest prime, was just before, you know, uh, WrestleMania mm-hmm. 1, before that happened. Because I, I was thinking definitely last night when I was watching these Tito-Valentine matches, I'm like, man, if they had put this at WrestleMania 1 move over Steamboat Savage because we'd be talking about a different like starting point for these great WrestleMania matches for these classic matches that uh, will be remembered like through all time. And just for the bad luck that they had those like in Madison Square Garden in front of screaming crowds, but not on like a national platform, you know, they will never be thought about or talked about at all in the same way or even at all, really, which is very sad because these are some of the most wonderful matches that I've seen from that era. Yeah, it, it's it's a hard thing to talk about because um, I'm I'm currently doing an independent study on how stories change us, and we're collecting like every idea, like you know why are human beings storytelling characters? Partly we're emergent creatures who have been evolving since the beginning of time, and story is what helps us evolve. This, that, and the other. But one of the big elements that keeps coming up is timing. That 
Something could happen today that if it would just happen tomorrow, you would respond differently. The pathway would be differently. You know, so timing is such an ugly and sad thing and it's not satisfying to talk about. But there are a lot of people in this era that if you just shift a year or a month or a week, it would be a completely different narrative about what we'd be talking about. Yeah, absolutely so. But that's uh, that's true of all life, I think. Uh, yeah. Many great things go unrecognized and many things uh, become recognized simply because of time and place, regardless of whether they are great or not. So. Facts. Ah, oh, well. Uh, well, we still got Tito and Rick Martell on a Saturday night's main event, and we're also going to build up the Survivor Series because Slick and Martell are not coming alone. Big Bossman is out there, Akeem is out there, Jimmy Hart is out there, and the Honky Tonk Man is out there. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, I felt bad for Tito here because um, mm-hmm. the first two people coming out to support him, Red Rooster and Brutus Beefcake, <laughs> I'd be like, uh, just stay in the back, guys. You know, it's fine. I'll just take my chances out here. So, fortunately, he has Dusty Rose in his corner as well. But that's that was rough for a second when those were his two friends that were out there. It was. If, if they could destabilize Jimmy Hart, I'd be shocked. So, good <laughs> luck, Tito. But then Dusty Rose is out there. So, this is the closest we have come to a direct Bossman Dusty Rose encounter. Mm. I don't know how Beefcake can stand to sit next to Red Rooster. Like, his hair fascination. Like he must've been going crazy. Um, but, uh, also they both got to look at each other and just be like, you know, we're two hideous gimmicks and <laughs> I could have come out as a red rooster and used beefcake and the fans would have cheered and not even known the difference. Probably. Probably so. Ugh, you're right about that. Losers. Yep. Uh, so this is a, a good match. This is a really good match. I think could have been a great match. I felt at times maybe they were kind of uh, holding back a little bit. Um, cause kind of the, the point of this was to build up survivor series and not necessarily to like focus on their feud, which is unfortunate. So we still get a, a very good match. I would say, I think it could have been better, but I still really enjoyed this. I still encourage people to check this match out. If you are following along, it is a nice moment where Tito does a backslide and Rick Martel gives us some Arn Anderson selling eyes and oh his shock God. as he slides down the back of uh, Tito Santana. <laughs> that was incredible. Martel, with his expressions, with his body language, everything. He's another guy who is just so keyed in all the time to making everything work. And it's not exactly like Arn because I think it's less, it's less Arn and more flair at times because I think... Mm. Arn is the intellectual one, Flair is the emotional one, and Martel is all about getting people to react emotionally. But in that moment, like the facial expression, it was very Arn because it was so keyed in. So it's a great observation. I really love that. Yeah, it's the same thing as what we talked about with Barry Windham, that we are bringing out ideas that you don't even talk about because not enough people do it. But if you really wanted to sell the authenticity of a matchup, like how many times are you shocked by your opponent, but yet your face and your body never, never says that. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, that's so important to be actually reactionary to what's happening in the moment is so important. So that's great stuff. Um, this is another match where uh, just like before slick gets on the apron and Tito uh, pulls out of a pin that might've won him the match. And this is where I'm talking about, like, cause they really just do this, so that everyone can like get on the apron and threaten each other. And there's kind of a focus that's not really on Tito and Martel, uh, which is too bad. 
But uh, even so, it does build up Survivor Series. You know, it's effective as far as it goes. I just know, and I just realized it was Martel and Slick last time as well who kind of caused a baby face to make a kind of a dumb mistake like this. So I don't know what that's about. But uh, yeah, if you see a manager on the apron, just keep pinning the guy. They ain't going to do shit. So that's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. I don't think any two pay-per-views in the history of wrestling uh, can take over the booking like Survivor Series and Royal Rumble. You end up with like massive fights that turn into battle royals or team on team. You know, so you, it doesn't be a lot of years that when we're at Survivor Series or Royal Rumble, everything's just going to end with a bunch of people punching each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're right about that. And uh, I guess it makes sense as far as it goes. But still, I uh, would have loved just a little bit more focus on these two individually because they have such a great storyline and they're so, so good together. But uh, anyway, as you said, things kind of just break down in the end into a big brawl and uh, everyone just punches each other. So uh, we get a bit of an unsatisfying ending for fans of Martel and Santana. Yeah, you know, they were there for the story, not for their feud. So I don't know if I even credit WWF for continuing that storyline, at least on that night. <laughs> I like that it's uh, in the conversation, but I wish it were more in the center of the conversation. I think it really deserves to be. Well said. Uh, Gene Arkelin is with Piper, and this is Piper at his best, especially as a babyface, because he's talking about, you want to have fun with me? And so when Piper picks up on if you say anything, the best thing you could do if you're in a feud with Piper is just say, I really respect him, and I'm looking forward to this uh, contest, and just not give him anything. Because when he gets that, that bone, so like he's asking, did they have fun out there tonight? So he just picked up on this idea. He feels disrespected, and he's just going to like attack, attack, attack. Uh, in that storyline and in that idea. It's really wild that um, you think of Roddy Piper and you probably think of him as a heel. And I think probably for the majority of his actual career, he was a heel. But for almost all the time, you know, that that post-1985 uh, era, like he's heel for a bit. He turns face, I think, at the end of 86. And then he's just face forever. I don't think he'll ever turn heel again. And yet his whole demeanor like he he could be so annoying he could be so cruel he could be so uh just obnoxious and yet just because he's piper it just always works as a baby face so you know it just um it's just one of those weird things but yeah like he will really grind down on you anything you say anything you do you know he'll never let it go he'll he'll stick it in your face forever and he'll be annoying about it i wrote down that he's a one-man horror film <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, Gene Arkland is with the Bushwhackers. They are saying things and licking his face. And I think the truest line ever, Gene Arkland says, not on the lips, I might get emotionally attached. <laughs> and I, I believe him. <laughs> I believe him. <laughs> we saw him with Fifi on that one pay-per-view. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, yeah, oh, my God. Pervy Okerlund, um is not completely here yet, but he'll grow in time. So he, if he had only just acted instead of spoke, I think he could have ran the bushwhackers out of the company. Cause <laughs> I feel like they want to just like do their stupid gimmick, but I think Gene Arkland could have put them on the run. But <laughs> last. It might be true of a lot of people. So yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Ooh, I just want to give a shout out to the charming perversion of Gene Okerlund as opposed to uh, Brutus Beefcake. So here's a man who knows how to be perverted in the best way. So, so uh, I said this a while back, but uh, 
I watched uh, WrestleMania 4 with my girlfriend, and so she doesn't know these guys' names because she hasn't watched since then. But she's asked me like a couple of times, like I told her something that happened, and she's like, "Oh, is that the perverted uncle?" <laughs> and that's just like the only way she remembers him is, is the perverted uncle. Oh, that's perfect. He's like the perverted uncle. You know, he's perverted, but he's in the family, and you love <laughs> right. him, and it's sort of like charming, and he won't do anything that bad. And then Brutus Beefcake is like. The guy in the trench coat at the park who, like, you know, you, you need to probably call the police if you see him. So so there there's your um, division of perverts, if you wanted to know about that. So. <laughs> and then the bushwhackers are, you know, whatever they are. Like, <laughs> I don't understand, like, the fact that they got created. I don't know. I feel like you might be – I'm going to guess. I'm going to see if I'm right or wrong. Is Bruce Beefcake your least favorite of all these baby faces? I don't know if I would have said so at the start of the series, but yes, he has, he has come to the bottom, I think. Okay, I don't know where. The Bushwhackers are threatened. They, they're too new, but if they keep this stuff up for a while, they might end up at the bottom of mine. They can't. I don't think they can pass Beefcake for me at this point, because they're never going to be in main events, and they're not going to mm. be, you know, with Hogan at WrestleMania 9, you know. They're, they're on that Jim Duggan level, where basically everything they do annoys the shit out of me, but... I, you just can't pass up Beefcake at this point. I don't think it can be done. Okay. So we got Rujos and Bushwhackers here. and Ugh. This is <laughs> um, this is the kind of match that uh, you'd probably be embarrassed to watch if you're like me and anyone was around. This yeah. is the kind of match where, like, if I'd been watching when I was a kid, this is when my dad would have come in the room or something and just, <laughs> like, regretted every choice he made about raising me or something. So... I love when you tell those. St- I've heard this story from you a few times, and I love it every time because it is. We make sacrifices as fans because everything's not that great, and sometimes, like you said, and it's also it's not even it's not just your family or friends seeing you. Those are the rare moments. Like you spend your life pushing back against the stereotype of being a wrestling fan, and there are certain moments that that them seeing you would cause you to see yourself and that product differently than you want to see it. <laughs> I'll never forget. Yes, for me it was Rikishi. Every time he was on, like clockwork, my dad would like walk by or something and just, how do you explain what's happening here? You can't. Just don't try. So it's all right. I had those moments in, especially with the attitude there. Like my family, my parents never watched wrestling, you know, and then they would come in during like a Monday Night Raw when the attitude era is just doing something absurd, like a Vince Russo, like, you know, either something with the women or something with Val Venus, uh, you know, and, they just happen to walk in and look at the screen and stand there and then look at you and you're like, did you plan this? Like, is it scripted? <laughs> you know, it makes no sense. You never come in, you know, when Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair are having a classic or Steve Austin's doing something and it's just like, you know, iconic, you know, but here we are and here's this reality and I'm looking at myself differently right now. They always come in at the moments where you feel they have to like test their love for you and be like, yes. well, you're still my son. I guess yeah. so. <laughs> Just stay in the other room for a while. <laughs> uh, so yes, this is very embarrassing. The uh, the Bushwhackers pants. Jimmy Hart uh, Ventura actually calls it embarrassing. So again, the the truth speaking of Jesse Ventura. I don't know what can you say. It's a terrible match. The Bushwhackers win. I don't really want to talk about it. You know. Yeah. So and Jimmy Hart's wearing shorts to his knees. So I don't even understand. You know. <laughs> I guess it's wrestling, because like, it has like the little fleur de lis on it, yeah. and that's like more embarrassing for some reason. I don't know why. So I don't know. It's this is not a match, and this is not wrestling, and, and the Bushwhackers win somehow. Uh, yeah. 
no more bushwhackers. I wish I could say these guys will hang out an absurdly long time, but hopefully away from our eyes most of the time. So, I don't know. If you can't find a way to escape the battering ram, you don't deserve to be a professional wrestler. <laughs> you say that. I'm pretty sure they used it on the Brain Busters um, at times. So, so It's slow. One of them has the other one in a headlock, and you see it coming. So they're vulnerable. They're obvious. Like the least you can do is walk out of the way. The next thing you can do is probably kick that man in the in the, in the top of his head since it's like coming at you like that. <laughs> but uh, all wrestlers are paralyzed by the stupidity of the bushwhackers. They just don't know what to do, like me. So that's fair. I'll take that. <laughs> okay, Gene Erklins with Hulk Hogan after this uh, debacle. Uh, Hogan, uh, they gotta be stopped, man. It's, it's gone too far now. So we, this is another thing that's happening. Like Hulk Hogan's rhetoric is growing, but nothing is happening alongside it to make it happen. And right. that is the difference between the, uh, the Hulk Hogan that we knew and the Hulk Hogan that we've seen in this series so far. Yeah, I would say Hogan hasn't had a single moment of, of vulnerability in this feud. You know, a little bit. Maybe before the cage match where he got like knocked down, but then he came back and he won anyway, so clearly it didn't bother him that much. And then uh, at one point he's like, oh, we're feeling timid, but not really. And now like he's standing here and he's holding his throat. And he's like, oh, it's getting bigger, but like you already beat him. You beat him very yeah. decisively yeah. at SummerSlam. Why is this even still happening? Like we passed the point where we're even really pretending that Zeus is a threat because he just uh, doesn't seem threatening. He never actually stops you from winning or doing anything that you want to do. And I just, I don't know what we're still doing here. You know, this doesn't do anything for anybody. And Zeus is impervious to pain. We hear a hundred times. So (laughs) number one, if he's not, but number two, if he was, is that a good storyline? Because like, what, you know, there really is this thing of what can you do to him? If he's impervious to pain, that's not engaging. We never really talked about Andre Giants impervious to pain. Is that, can you conquer this man? Can you knock him down? Can you defeat him? But if someone's impervious to pain, where is the conflict or drama in that? Well, you say that, but they're going to bring back this talking point for The Undertaker. So, you know, we'll just have to compare one to the other and see if there is a way to make this talking point work or if it's just something that doesn't work at all. That's an interesting. Yeah, we will think about that um, as we go along. Undertaker is also supposed to be dead, maybe, or not alive, so that's also something we have to think about. You know, it felt like the Undertaker had to be figured out, right. and maybe Zeus is supposed to be figured out, too, but, you know, they've already had kind of matches with him, and so, you know, like the urn is a thing, you know, for a while you're going to wonder if you took away the urn or you took away Paul Bearer or, like, they don't have to throw stuff in his face or stuff like that. Uh Zeus, if he is unstoppable, it's just that he is a guy who never considered wrestling, but happens to be tougher than any wrestler who's ever existed. Mm. You know, so a good thing he met Hulk Hogan because it looks like he could make money in the business for the rest of his life because he's impervious to pain. He could be a boxer, too, and he could be a mixed martial artist because he's impervious to pain. So that is the storyline. And yet at the same time, you know, Hulk Hogan's going to defeat him. He's already defeated him. So how about that? He's impervious to pain and he also can't win matches (laughs) that's the biggest thing for me because like okay maybe it didn't hurt you and hogan slammed you and leg dropped you but you still lost the match so like i'm glad 
you didn't have to take an aspirin afterwards? Like, what does it benefit you that you're impervious to pain if you can't even win the match anyway? But uh, I will say this. We texted about this a little bit. It's connected to Vince Russo. But, again, it's clearly something that predates him. It's something he just exacerbated. The idea that that the the idea is more important than the performer mm. is really proven false here, I think, because you could look at Undertaker, you look at Zeus, and you say, hey, there's actually a lot of similarity between the way they presented these two guys, and yet the performer underneath the gimmick made all the difference in the world. And I won't say an idea is not also important, because I think you just have to look at something like Lucha Underground to see, hey, a great yeah. idea or a great series of ideas can really elevate people, but, but, but it will always come down to the people doing the performance. Can they pull it off? Can they make it work? That is the key element. That's why it makes no sense when Vince Russo says, like, he created Dustin Rhodes' career because it's not true. All the things he takes credit for, none of it is credible because without that great performer to make it work, a great idea uh, is worth almost nothing. Oh, my God. Three things, if I can remember them. Number one... Uh, we almost did not want the NWO, which is my favorite thing to ever happen, 1997 WCW, because we were so excited about the potential of Dustin Rhodes and Steve Austin being main eventers in 1994, which predates Vince Russo's stupid ass. So that cannot be true. Uh, oh, man, number two. You're, oh, I'm, I'm going to lose these thoughts. They were so good. So good. Okay, I've always wanted to apologize for this, so I'm going to do it now because WWF has been so amazing in the narrative stuff and all this, that, and the other, and I'm glad we praised it like we did. But the one thing we have not pointed out enough is that they also bought up everybody's talent, and this was maybe the greatest batch of talented human beings in the world all together doing their thing. Yeah. No, we don't talk enough about that. Bobby Heenan might be the greatest this. Hulk Hogan might be the greatest that. Jesse Ventura might be the greatest other thing. So you got people who are just so talented and you're right that can make all the difference and then the lucha underground thing man that's just a great point because you know there is some truth to that but again i will take the talent over the idea if i have to and then oh here's an idea fucking vince russo how about an idea and a talent together because everything doesn't have to be this that or the other in this extreme because you're just covering your own ground you dumb so and so such and such and then last shout out to kenny omega who said that aew is underutilizing the Lucha Bros. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I saw that. Uh, a good observation on his part. I will, again, encourage and uh, plead with AW to uh, to split these guys up. I was actually talking to Colt uh, Icon about this. And, you know, Colt, he's, he's a great guy. He's kind of in the know a little bit more with this stuff. According to him, uh, Pentagon and Phoenix just really like teaming together. They prefer teaming together. Um, that's great if your goal in life is comfort. If your goal is true greatness, get the fuck away from each other. Mm. That is my suggestion. And it's fine. You know, your, your goal is your goal. But, um, you know, I'm just telling you what I see. So, yeah. whew, all right. Um, and I yes, just got to stop uh, being fans of people. Anybody I'm a fan of, they have special rules. Like, nobody cares what wrestlers want or prefer nine times out of ten. But then someone I like is like, oh, well, they like being tag wrestlers. So we wouldn't even think about doing anything that they don't like. Okay, well, that's a new thing in professional wrestling. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, yes, as the Vince Russo thing, uh, performers are more important. I'll say it again. That's why Jeff Jarrett can never be Steve Austin, even though he had the same idea twice. He tried to copy it over. <laughs> uh, Buff yeah. well can never be The Rock because 
duh, but also because <laughs> it's not just the idea, you know, it's the performer, so, oh my, okay, all right, a lot of big He said he had every opportunity a hundred times over to prove anything that he said to be true, and he never, ever, ever did. Never did, my God. Whew, all right, man, it's an exciting show, I feel like we covered, uh, even more ground than usual somehow, just philosophically or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's just I think we're in a, we're in a transition period, and so errors of all kind are fair game right now because I don't think we're even in an error in so much of like like there's a staple or a stamp you can put on this that just is a certain kind of way. It's very there's a lot up in the air right now. There is, there absolutely is. So. uh I think that is everything we want to speak on for this show. Anything else you want to add before we wrap it up here? No, I'm good. All right. Next time we'll be back with Survivor Series. Got a lot of exciting names on this card. Greg Valentine, Randy Savage on a team together. Uh, on the other side, got the likes of Bret Hart, Hercules, Ronnie Garvin, others on that team. Uh, Hulk Hogan will be teaming up with The Demolition, as he likes to say, and James <laughs> Roberts. <laughs> they got DiBiase, Barbarian, Warlord, and Zeus on the other side. We got uh, Rick Rude and Roddy Piper uh, putting up teams against each other here. Rick Rude here aligned with Mr. Perfect, which I think is cool because uh, we all know they have a lot of connection between them on a bunch of different levels. And then, yeah, main event will be uh, Ultimate Warrior Team versus Andre the Giant Team. Bobby Heenan will be in that match. Arn Anderson, Haku, the Rockers. Um, so a lot of exciting stuff coming up on this card. I think it's going to be a good one. Um, we'll talk about it all when we get to it though. Survivor Series 1989 coming up soon. Whew. All right. I think, um, I think that is about it. Thank you very much for listening to the show. You want to shout me out? I am Twitter. I'm at spectral gent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Also, check out all the other great programs on LOP Radio and all the great written material on, uh, lore, uh, what, what is it? www.lopforms.com or you can navigate through the main page. Thank you. WrestlingHeadlines.com. That is our main page. Do come out. Join the conversation. Great stuff. Thank you for rescuing me this is like my fifth hour of podcasting in two days so uh i am uh <laughs> yeah you can check out we just dropped a special one-time only episode of uh, the global revolution where we interviewed a guy by the name of uh, razor wing who's a, a masked wrestler out there in the world right now and has uh, various connections and has some very interesting stories to tell so that is out now on lop radio i'll take a minute to plug that that is definitely all we've got I got to go take a rest until next week until Survivor Series Mystic. Take us home. That is awesome. In many ways, Miz fan makes the world go round, folks. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, definitely check that out. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. Discovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself 
nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I've never saw this one in books Or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature and salty tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared Let's go.